Madam Deputy Speaker, it's also been brought to my attention by a whistleblower from a very reliable source that one of these institutions is covering up clear data that reveals the mRNA vaccine increases inflammation of the heart arteries. They are covering this up in fear that they may lose funding from the pharmaceutical industry. The lead of that cardiology research department has a prominent leadership role uh, with the British Heart Foundation, and I'm very disappointed to say that, that he has sent out non-disclosure agreements to his research team to ensure that this important data never sees the light of day. This, Madam Minister. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Hey, December 14th, 2022. Thank you all for joining me today. Probably going to be a long show today, so make sure, or never mind, for all those people out there that hate the long shows, this is not going to be one of those long shows. So make sure you stay all the way till the end because it will not be, I'm just kidding, it's going to be a long show. And there's a lot to jam in here today. There's going to be a lot of information to try to pack in of some parts that I haven't really had a chance to get to. Censorship, Twitter, myocarditis, COVID-19, vaccines, the Great Reset. We're going to get it all in today. But a lot of important new information. A really important one that was actually shown to me by uh, Nashville Angela about the FDA. Something we've already talked about numerous times. Something you know like the back of your hand, I argue. I could probably ask you in the chat right now, what are the three things that would make these emergency use authorizations no longer valid. You probably list them all off right now. It's right there on their website right now. And every one of those three things are right now happening. Yet somehow we're able to continue with the COVID-19 emergency, continue to emergency authorize these injections. They just changed the information around that. And it still shows you that they're not meeting it. And it also just accidentally, or I was just so happens to, I genuinely think accidentally reveals that they were never meeting it this entire time. So they weren't before, they've changed it, and they still aren't. And yet somehow that's, some, uh, that's legal and appropriate. The FDA is exposing what they've always been, I think. Now we're also going to get into myocarditis information, some just overwhelming evidence building on top of overwhelming evidence that shows you how serious this really is, how it's being covered up. The one you saw in the opening there is somebody from the UK Parliament that's you know left and right. The scenes are coming apart in this cover-up. And it really is just that. And the massive cover-up part, the title today, wasn't even just that one video. That's just the beginning, the, the, you know, the, the point it, that opened up the conversation today. And I brought in a bunch of new things that we're going to talk about and more information that you already know, showing you that there's obviously a massive cover-up underway, specifically in regard to the heart problems, at the, the myocarditis and the thrombosis and everything else. Um, I, I believe Doom is in the chat. If you could mod Marshall for me, I appreciate that. It's just overwhelming how obvious it is. And we're going to finish with the Great Reset part and showing you how uh, kind of in a quick succession toward the end, because there was so much I could have included, to be honest. It's just endless amounts of information about the digital ID, social credit, where I just try to put it on at the end to make sure you guys see where this is going and how fast it's going and how they're going to execute it. And this is my opinion, obviously, but based on the evidence that's in front of us and things that they blatantly tell you. And then if you say they said this, you're called a conspiracy theorist. Very, very interesting. Now, we're going to start today with foreign policy around uh, Ukraine specifically. 
some really interesting stuff that we haven't gotten to and Iran and a few other t- parts as well. The contradictions that exist throughout this that are overwhelming and a part about Twitter, uh, not necessarily about Twitter the way you might think, but the same conversation, but how it overlaps with a lot of other things. One of which I'm very concerned about, which is what I've coined the MAGA trap or vanilla ISIS discussion and how, whether it's intentional or not. And I don't know that very well could just be that they, it being done organically and it's still being used, which happens just as much as anything else. But what's happening on Twitter right now, not the conduct, but what Elon is saying and what just happened is being framed as an example of how free speech is violence. And you saw this coming as we've been talking about it. But, but let's start off with Ukraine, a very important conversation that is just <laughs> tied to everything, it seems. And that's not too hard to see these days. But let's start off with an important conversation that was just had between Colonel McGregor and uh, I'm suddenly blanking on his name, which is kind of frustrating, but you guys all know who I'm talking about. The guy right next to him, Judge Napoleano. Uh, and a conversation here about Ukraine and, and, and the perceptions from, a, from, from two very seasoned foreign policy pundits, from people involved in the military, the government, from the judicial. I mean, these people know what they're talking about. It doesn't mean you should just blindly trust what they're saying. They could, there's every other thing we can say about anybody else. They could be lying. They could be wrong. The same thing you should always apply to everything you listen to. But as experts on the topic, especially since they seem to be contradicting the general consensus, pay attention to what they're saying, because I find it to be very important, especially since the way it's being framed in the breathless anticipation of the coming nuclear war that Putin's inevitably going to bring is completely the opposite from when you listen to these people talk about it which, by the way, is backed up by what I argue are the clear and present facts on the table, which are that the U.S. government has driven this into reality. And at every possible turn, the just childish corporate media continues to just aggressively take what they say out of context and just flat out lie about what they say. And wink, wink, here's because we know what Putin thinks and wants and feels because great journalism, right? Well, listen to what they have to say about it. And this is the nuclear threat. And the changing dynamic, and really, as I framed it in the chat today, or the, the title today, the runaway train of Ukraine, or Ukraine, the runaway train. Now, that doesn't have to mean that that's by accident either. Don't take don't necessarily read it like that, because I think most of this is intentional. But what they're framing for you right here, which I'll play next, is it seems to be the obvious reality that they're allowing this to get out of control. Because when the, the even, even if that means not really knowing what Zelensky will do next it still creates a perfect situation for them to abuse and use because historically you can see the U.S. government especially rarely seems, if ever, to care about the people they frame as the ones they're trying to rescue. In fact, you tend to be a tool, a cog in the machine that's very quickly replaceable. So take a listen to these people talk about it. Again, Judge Napoleano and uh, Colonel Gregor discussing the situation. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Thursday, uh, December 8th, 2022. It's a little after three o'clock in the afternoon on the East Coast of the United States. You you all know our guest today, our regular go-to guy on military matters, and particularly uh, what's happening in Ukraine, Colonel Douglas McGregor, whose background requires no introduction to this audience uh, Colonel, we have a lot to uh, discuss, so let me start uh, going uh, through it. Yesterday, uh, Secretary of State uh, Tony Blinken uh, told the Wall Street Journal that the United States public policy uh, is to return uh, Russian troops to the pre-2014 
February 24th border, which would mean that they're totally out of uh, out of Ukraine. How realistic is this and how unwise is it for him to state that as American public policy? And before he elaborates, remember what he's saying there. And this is the context that this is if you listen to Blinken and the rest of them speak about it, they're not talking about it as just a simple goal. This is an absolute. Unless Russia does this, nothing where we will not we will continue to dump money and funds from a thousand different directions into this location, which only serves to truly destroy Ukraine, which apparently everybody except Zelensky and the, the fascist army that they're running seem to care about. Right. They're continuing to destroy this country. The people on the ground, they pretend they're fighting for. I mean, everything about this is obvious. But the point being that that is the stated policy. As usual, the U.S. government picks an unattainable goal and says, until that happens, nothing else matters. But that's called negotiation, right? The absolutists sort of like Iran does nothing until they do this. And it's like, well, wait a minute. We, you know, the, the bottom line is they continue to align, set up unattainable goals so that these things don't come to pass. Because I argue, and I think it's pretty clear, that they want this to continue pretty much forever, or at the very least, until they can destroy Russia, quagmire them in some kind of endless battle like they tried to do in Syria, or they're continuing to do. That's how I see this. Well, if his intention is to ensure that there can be no negotiations, then he succeeded. Because mm. that's unacceptable to the Russians. Perhaps that's the reason he did it. But, but is this... Uh, a realistic public policy of the United States that any amount of, of ra- any rational amount uh, of force introduced by NATO or United States uh, dollars uh, could have as a realistic goal the removal of all Russian forces to the pre-February 24th border or the, to where they were uh, on February 23rd. It's the impossible dream. You ought to just forget about it. It's an irrelevant statement. It's unworthy of any attention. Okay. And that's it. That's literally the end of that part of the conversation. And you know, you know why it's so simple? Because anybody with brain cells can see that that's an impossibility. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't. It, it, the bottom line is if you're actually trying to negotiate, you know that that's not going to happen. The U.S. would never do that unless literally dragged by force out. And that we've seen this in the past, right? This, I mean, and don't point to Afghanistan because 10 years of, of stealing and pillaging and then choosing to leave and not really leaving is not the same thing. The bottom line, though, is that this is meant to be set up so it never comes to pass. It's so it continues to make them look like the ones unwilling to negotiate. It's a very transparent tactic. Now ask yourself this. Are these people Russian shills or whatever, you know, dumbed down, uneducated argument that people make about people that say the thing they don't like to hear? They could be. Sure, it's certainly possible. But the point is, these are people that are it's a hard sell for Americans to pretend that these people are somehow, you know, anything but objective observers trying to point out what they think is happening. Now, I shouldn't say obviously we all have our influences. But and again, question everybody. But at the end of the day, how does this discussion so clearly logical from two experts? How does it not fit? How does this have no place in the conversation today? It's, it's not like they're the only two people that think this. I'm just trying to point out how clear it is that at the end of the day, there's a lot of this kind of conversation that just has no place on left and right media, which means the majority of people aren't on that, aren't involved in the conversation. Because this is what logical people can consider. It doesn't mean you have to agree or think you support what Putin's doing, but it's just a simple state of fact. And yet you, you say this in a Twitter conversation, you get consumed by both sides. That's where we're headed. We are in the middle of a massive psychological operation push from seemingly every possible angle. That's what I'm starting to feel. 
You um, recently um, commented to me off air uh, about some uh, comments that President Putin made, which were very, very intriguing. I found them intriguing, and I think the audience will as well, concerning uh, nuclear weapons. What did President Putin say, and how does it interact uh, with American policy uh, with respect to the use of nukes. You can almost see how irritated Gregor is. McGregor is he's just like, he has to answer basic reality. Like, oh, here, okay, I just, I just explain what he just said. Because what he actually said, and what he's about to tell you, is diametrically opposite of what the media told you he said. Well, as you'll recall, in, in June, he reiterated the policy that under no circumstances would the Russians employ nuclear weapons unless they were attacked by a power that used nuclear weapons against them. Right. So only if nuclear weapons are attacked, which is kind of a ridiculous stance, because how are you going to respond? The bottom line is you're making a stance that you won't be the first one to fire nukes. And yet they're still from this from the very beginning of this being framed as the entity that is threatening nuclear war. That has literally never been the point or the reality. This has always been what they've said from the beginning. And remember, even recently, they pulled the entire thing off the table and said, fine, that we're not even we will say we'll never do that. Now, wait, listen to what he says about what Biden says. You know, the peacemakers. Right. What he's done now is he said that uh, he's reexamined this. And there are certain reasons. One is, of course, that Biden renounced uh, essentially the no first use approach of his predecessor and said that he would now use nuclear weapons against conventional forces, not only against nuclear forces, even if we were not attacked with a nuclear weapon. Or rather that it's possible and that's on the table. Right. And so uh, what do you think this is going to do? This is going to drive the other side to have to adjust their stance. Right. And say, well, Jesus, if they're going to literally say that they're going to have these pointed at us and willing to do it, if we simply do anything, how are we not going to respond to that? And so this is what we're talking about. So then Russia goes, fine. We took it off the table entirely. You ramp up your rhetoric. So what are we left with? response and then when they respond the whole media rips out oh my god look at them threatening nuclear war look at their saber rattling and because they're a bunch of children a bunch of people that are sycophantic at nature to the corporate media and to the government so they just do what they're told i mean how else do you understand this kind of thing because it's easy to look up the, the the actual statements the actual transcripts you can read for yourself and you'll find that the corporate media from New York Times to the Washington Post to CNN to Fox News will blatantly misrepresent the situation. Well, have, let, me stop you, let me stop you right now. How reckless is that? Well, this is the president of the United States who made these statements and signed this new policy into doctrine. It's, it's very, it was very ill-advised. I don't know of anybody in Washington that thinks it's a good idea, but that's what's happened. And Except the media likes to tell you the opposite, though, don't they? Since then, we've had lots of loose talk from people about tactical nuclear exchanges or yep. winning limited nuclear wars, this kind of nonsense. But more okay, recently, so as a result of this policy change, which I don't think was on the front page of the New York Times, but as a result of exactly. this policy change, uh, what did President Putin say or do? Well, let me go one step further. There's one other thing that has occurred that induced him to change his position. We've placed a lot of aircraft in the theater uh, that mm. are capable of delivering nuclear weapons. The theater of war, meaning like the area that, that is relevant to the current war. He's been, you know, I mean, he'll elaborate, but they're bringing in nuclear-capable equipment, ships, planes, all within range, including nuclear weapons, to Russia. 
<laughs> and we're supposed to pre- imagine if anybody did this anywhere within range of the United States enough. I mean, the Cuban Missile Crisis is the only one of the examples of something like that being discussed. Look at how that worked out. Like, imagine the, I mean, this in reverse. Where is this being discussed? It's all about freedom and democracy, right? If any, and if Putin increases an inch forward, even in discussion, the whole thing becomes he's threatening nuclear war. Is that really what's happening? And I'm sure most of your viewers are aware that we do have nuclear weapons on the ground in Germany. So it, it's not impossible that we could uh, load nuclear bombs into uh, our weapons, nuclear warheads on cruise missiles. And, of course, we have a battle group at sea, you know, a CVBG, uh, aircraft carrier battle group in the Adriatic or somewhere in the eastern Mediterranean that also has nuclear weapons that it can uh, employ. So what he's now said is that uh, we will not simply sit by when we see evidence that the United States or its allies are preparing a first strike against us. Mm-hmm. In other words, if we detect that you are weaponizing your cruise missiles and aircraft with nuclear weapons, we, we will no longer sit still and do nothing. We will strike. Of course, that's a very frightening prospect. Yeah. Now, as I understand it, what they're talking about there, which is the way that this gets misrepresented, and I've read this in the actual discussion, that they're going to strike with ta- with uh, typical munitions if these things are placed. But if they, they're, as you heard him say in the beginning, their stance about whether they would use nukes is only if they were attacked with nukes first. So what gets mis- muddled up and spit back out in the way they want you to see it, they pretend that he talks about nukes in response to them moving things in place. That's not even actually what happened. But at the end of the day, it becomes that with the corp media discussion. And it's easy to understand because they'll just go because Russia maniac, right? Because they're the old Soviet Union image that we want to give you about all about strength. And and that's never look at what's happened over the last 20 years. It's just not the reality. But the corporate media will happily lie to you in the way that their masters tell them to. Now now you're asking the enemy is the potential enemy in Russia is saying, we may make the judgment call that you're preparing to nuke us, in which case we will nuke you first. Colonel has won't. Now that, see, now I find that to be, now you, you guys come to your conclusions because he's obviously far more educated in this topic than I am, but based on what he said in the beginning and based on the rhetoric that I've read, it doesn't seem that that's actually the case, that it's more about attacking back. Because even he said at the beginning, it was with fired with nukes first, but you know, come to your own conclusions about it. Either way, you can, cl- you can see that this has a defensive stance, no matter how they want to frame it. Colonel, has World War III already started? No. Uh, you have a, a war between Russia and the United States via a proxy. That's ongoing. And there are Europeans involved with this. Some are enthusiastic, as the Poles, and others are not. No, we're not yet in, in a state of a global conflict by any stretch of the imagination. But what I just described to you thats debatable. suggests that if we take that step and we signal to the Russians that we're preparing to do something with a nuclear weapon. Uh, we, we are essentially asking for Armageddon. Yeah. In a uh, column that you wrote, just... I'm going to go ahead and leave it there. You guys can watch the rest of the video. But, you know, and again, to reiterate, guys, I'm not asking you to trust either one of these people or anybody for that matter. I, don't, I, th- I think it's pretty like willfully ignorant to trust anybody in the public sphere today at all or, or really ever. And that shouldn't be some kind of a depressing reality. That's just common sense. 
It doesn't mean that you ignore it either. You just have skepticism, discernment, always with everybody. I don't know. It's like, I hate that I feel like every 30 seconds we have to redefine that. But the point is, it's necessary. Like the same reason irritatingly objective is necessary today. It's the only way to get yourself outside of the framework that they're pushing you into. But the point is, somebody asked in the chat, like, who's paying him or people like Ritter to, to make these statements? Well, you know, I, it's a good, fair question, but may, maybe nobody. Right. I mean, the point is, we don't know. Is it outside the realm of possibility? These people are just speaking up because they think what's happening is dangerous and they see nobody else being clear and honest about it. Certainly possible. But, you know, that could be seen as naive because we don't know. Question it. That's the easiest way to look at it. It really becomes irrelevant. What's driving their motivations when you just accept it as information coming from people that have background and expertise when they could be lying and they could be wrong. It's the same thing every time. It's just information. Take it at face value and compile it with everything else you see and ask yourself what makes the most sense. Come to your own conclusion about it. That's the important part. Because to me, it's not just because he said this, I think this. It's because he said this, he's an expert. And it's also what I was thinking in similar ways, which you could see as maybe sort of confirmation bias, which is fair. But at the same time, I'm applying all the different data points in front of us and other experts that have spoken on this. And I think it's very clear. Again, just taking it to the core source material, which is always the point. Look at the transcripts. Look at what they actually said. And when you notice that they weirdly cut out like the middle of a sentence, it's like, wait a minute. How do you even think that makes it? Well, because it makes it look like something else was said. It's part of the sentence, sure. They also don't put like dot, dot, dot and lower the case. They make it look like it was a full sentence. They lie to you. That's what these people do. There's no doubt in my mind. People in the media are willfully deceiving, maybe because they believe it's lying for their truth, maybe because they're just dishonest people. I don't know. Question everything. But I think this is a very important conversation that really challenges everything that's going on right now in, in, in the context of Ukraine, as they continue to make all the moves that any other government would say are escalations, cr crossing red lines. And then when Russia just does anything, they frame it as a bellicose response, which then justifies why they did what they just did anyway. And it's just this constant self-fulfilling prophecy always. And in no way am I trying to remove accountability from Russia. There's plenty of things we can get into, which I've made clear in the past. I don't support any of this, but at the same time, I can understand why actions they're making make sense in the face of continued aggression. It's just not what people want to hear that want to pretend it's all Russia bad guy. But let's go forward on this and realize the way that this conversation is gone. So based on what he just said, especially if you want to take it as uh, just take it at face value for the sake of this point. Which is that that's not really what's happening. And again, I think the data backs that up. That at the very least, Russia has not been threatening nuclear war. Or, I mean, think about what even Biden said. Literally saying that Putin threatened chemical, biological, and nuclear war. None of that is true. Even, only nukes were even mentioned, and it was in the context of response to their attacks. Yet they frame that as a threat, as always. And so after all of this goes on, right, the whole conversation continues to where, where ultimately Putin says, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to take that off the table. Just to kind of, that's like checkmate, right? So now what are you going to say? I'm not even offering it as a possibility. Can you, can, can you call me threatening? And this is what they do. <laughs> this is, and this is actually before this last conversation where Biden kind of went further with the threat. And then Putin says, well, we have to reevaluate. But in the moment where Putin's like, well, then nothing then. Here's what gets said. The risk of nuclear weapons being used in the Ukraine conflict has lessened thanks to international pressure on Russia. <laughs> See my point about the, the framing of this? Really? So because you guys said he did something he didn't, and then he went even further in the other direction, he goes, yay, we did that. <laughs> That's the self-fulfilling prophecy. That's like saying, you're all going to die tomorrow if you don't take this injection. And then you take the injection and half the people die and they go, more people would have died if you didn't take it. That's our success right there. Can't you tell? Same thing. You just point at what happened and claim that would have been worse. If it, it's the same kind of game.
international pressure? No, it was never the reality in the first place. And now you point at the absence of something to say, we were right, see? Because it would have happened if we didn't do this. This is classic propaganda. Now, I mentioned this on a recent show, not on Daily Wrap-Up, but I wanted to reiterate this, is that we've seen this already increase to a very, very dangerous degree that I haven't really seen a lot of focus on. And to be quite honest, if this was in reverse, I think the U.S. would have already started World War III. I literally mean that. In the case that this is, we are seeing Ukraine strike directly into Russia. They're literally bombing Moscow, or at least assassinating people in Moscow and bombing places in Russia. And even the New York Times has backed this up. And even the U.S. spoke up and said, wow, we didn't tell them to do it. Can you imagine what would be happening right now if that was in reverse? I mean, it would. you know this would be out of control already, but yet... So Russia seems to have shown restraint, as they have all throughout the Syria conflict. It just shows you that they are not the, the entity that they're being framed as, or at the very least, that they're smart enough to play it the other way, knowing that they'll be seen that way. Right? And you can always think this further. I don't take it in if face value that any government's doing what's right just for the sake of what's doing, doing what's right. Now, I could be pessim- I could be jaded. I'd like to believe there are people out there that would do the right thing, but I've been proven wrong repeatedly. So I take the common stance that most of these people do what's advantageous from a government position. So here we have explosions hitting air bases deep inside of Russia, killing three soldiers. Imagine if three American soldiers were killed by a bomb that hit inside of the United States by somebody that was deemed a Russian proxy. Even if it wasn't true, you know what would happen. So my point is the U.S. speaks up and says, oh, we're not encouraging them to strike inside of Russia. We didn't do it. (laughs) Again, in reverse. Do you think that would fly? Do you think Blinken would care? (laughs) Do you think Biden would care? Come on. Do you think Trump would care? It doesn't matter. It's about narrative and and, and the direction they're already trying to achieve. But take, take a dance back to June 1st, 2022, right, when they were bringing in rockets, which now they're gone even further. Zelensky says he won't attack Russian territory. Of course, I won't do that. Oh, but Russia blasts the U.S. for sending rockets to Ukraine. Zelensky said, we're not going to do that. And then they do that. Okay, so what changed? Were they always going to do it and they lie? Or they weren't going to do it and then somebody made them? It doesn't really matter, does it? They lie about everything all the time. Governments, people in control, the powerful. That's constantly what we're seeing. We won't attack Russian territory and then we literally attack Russian territory. I argue it was a lie from the beginning. The point was, Russia says, what are you doing? You're giving weapons to the people that are literally committing mass genocide in Don- Donetsk and, and threatening Russian people. How are we not supposed to respond to that? So Zelensky says, we're not going to attack you, though. And the, and the U.S. goes, see, he said he's not going. That's how this goes. It's a we're, we're in kindergarten because right now they are bombing inside. Well, actually, this one I haven't yet confirmed. This is from two days ago. But nonetheless, we're seeing this pop up all over the place. Huge explosions in Russia as a fire rages through the mall. I would argue if this was a strike on Russia that they would argue it was just an explosion like they often do because they don't want to be seen as the one that just got attacked. That's always how this game goes. Regardless, who knows? There's so much happening right now. We do know for sure that they are bombing inside of Russia. And it's who, it, the, the civilians were killed in this, mall, in this mall explosion. My point is this is teetering on the edge right now. And I'm not one to usually say something like that. This is obviously very, very dangerous because it, there's people involved that don't have the interest in Russia or the United States. Right. These are people that are being funded. I argue don't even have a real interest in Ukraine. And they're being given the top of the line kind of military equipment and munitions. Rocket launchers, bombs, drones, nuclear capabilities. This is crazy. Biden authorizes two hundred seventy five million more dollars in specifically military aid. Usually just pretend like it's for humanitarian. This is here's three hundred million dollars just for more weapons on top of the trillions that have already gone. This is December 9th. 
So here is just a quick little graphic, just in case you wanted to see this. Visualizing USA, just USAID to Ukraine. It's USAID to Ukraine totals $68 billion. And in November, the White House asked Congress for another $38 billion. This would bring the total amount appropriated for Ukraine to over $100 billion. Just imagine what a fraction of that could do for your struggling family. You know, the families they destroyed because fighting the because the COVID destroyed everything, right? Yeah, you mean the you know, lockdowns and the masks and your policy? No, 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 COVID did that. Okay. But just if you want, if we could sit here and watch. The whole, I mean, the point is every single one of these dots, to pause real quick, every one of those dots represents $100,000. Where was it? It's right down here, I think. Yeah, one dot's 100000 right? So the red is military. Where was it? Yeah, military. Red's military. Blue is government. And yellow is humanitarian. So otherwise, that means all of it's military and they're lying to you. <laughs> That's how I look at it. Let's pretend. I mean, look, there's so many examples of how the supposed humanitarian aid didn't actually do what they said it would. And even that, what, 70% of the money doesn't even go where they say it does? We're watching this stuff get sold overseas in Europe. I mean, guys, this stuff's been proven left and right. We're being robbed right now. I mean, just look at that. I mean, the, it, I mean, the numbers are there. You can look at 68 billion, 100 billion. But just to watch that, to watch how much is dumping out of your pockets, because that's what that is, and flying into the hands of open, expressed, and shouting fascists, screaming neo-Nazis, screaming Nazis right now, as they pretend that's not what's happening. I mean, it should really make you sick. Now, here's just the end result, just so you can see it. 68, 60 billion, 27 in government, whatever that means. Right. So more military. And then we're supposed to pretend 15 billion went to humanitarian aid, despite the fact that the only group seemingly doing anything in the realm of humanitarian aid is Russia rebuilding areas that they I mean, we'll get into the point. Actually, I don't think I have it today. The example of how there's plenty of things that Ukraine claimed were destroyed that actually weren't. And there are things that were actually destroyed that they said Russia did that you can prove Ukraine did. It's just it's so this whole thing they've lost control of, just like the COVID-19 narrative, I argue. Kim.com points out, and here's the escalation part of it. Ukraine now gets U.S. Patriot missiles that cost the U.S. taxpayer three million dollars per missile. That's all that money dumping over there. And and this is to shoot down thirty thousand dollar Russian drones, which are the primary point right now. The drones can fire, the Russians can fire 100 drones for each U.S. Patriot missile. The Pentagon strategists call this unbalancing Russia. Or what it's really called, a transfer of wealth. We are watching ourselves get robbed in real time, if that's even where all the money is going, right? Or even all the munitions, for that matter. But these are Patriot missile defense systems being sent. These things are red lines all over the place. There's nothing about this that would make sense or that they would allow in reverse. Now, in regard to what the Ukraine, what Ukraine is doing with the government regime puppet government that's running Ukraine is doing with those things is another example that people on the ground are screaming about that the, the media just doesn't seem to care about, you know, like Yemen or any other example that they just seemingly just don't know about, right? We're screaming about this one person over here. Meanwhile, your government just murdered 50 children. Right? Doesn't, we're not even talking about that. It doesn't matter. We'll get to that next. Western propaganda deliberately tries to prevent us from seeing how Kiev targets the very civilians they claim they should be allowed to rule over. This is, a, this is exactly the point that I've been making from the beginning of this. You can listen to them express themselves the hatred they have for these people all across the board, everywhere you look. 
and have videos of them bombing and attacking and taping them to lampposts and calling them Muscovites and, and Russian sympathizers. And yet then they want to help them, right? Or how they'll post things about how they're traitors just because they live in these areas. And yet they want to rule over them. I mean, it's such an obvious lie. If you lived in Crimea or Donbass, would you want to be governed by the people who consider your life expendable or who have called you exp uh, uh, um, superfluous that needs to be exterminated with that, which that journalist said live on the air? I mean, it's, it's you, the transcript of it. The point is, this is what we're seeing. This is these are civilian areas as as. Eva Bartlett has made clear, as Patrick Lancaster or Wyatt Reed or all the rest of them that have continued to show you this, there is no front line. You see the problem with this kind of stuff, guys, is that the average person that just doesn't want to believe this because they buy the other narrative, you show them stuff like this and they'll look at it and be like, well, that's probably from the probably from Russia. You know, whatever the narrative is that makes them be that makes them feel OK about just not even looking into it. Here's the problem, though. These are verifiable areas that are in the air, civilian downtown of areas like Donetsk. There's, you know how far away the front line is from this area? Now, you could maybe you could argue, anything possible, that Russia bombed this to be able to blame Ukraine. Here's the other problem. You've got numerous independent journalists in this area, including in the hotel, that they've bombed while they were there. And then you can prove, based on the trajectory, based on the materials on the ground, and based on numerous other examples, that this was Ukraine firing. And that's one of the main things people don't realize today, especially with like taking the Kramastruck uh, uh, train station, for example, as Ritter pointed out, you can prove this using the azimuth uh, mathematical factor to prove where it came from based on the where, where it landed. Why don't we ever go through that? Gee, I wonder. The problem is this stuff is obvious. It's everywhere. And these are, it's in, it's in uh, Ukraine. There's civilian areas all over the place being bombed. That's the point. It's easy to prove. Here's a video from RT, as Eva Barla points out. The BBC recently showed a Donetsk building destroyed by Ukrainian shelling. Now, we've actually posted this image, I believe, and implied that it was Ukrainian building destroyed by Russian shelling. It's not the first time Western media has done this. Uh, this is Roman uh, Kazarev speaking about the media lies and omissions. Forces and their Donbass counterparts are traditionally portrayed by Ukrainian and Western mainstream media as indiscriminate barbarians. Their viewers and readers are often just a couple of clicks away from terrifying footage that rubs their noses into a near-perfect trap designed to demonize anything to do with the word Russian. And the narrative accompanying it is often a complete fantasy. Take this breaking news story from the BBC. The British broadcaster suggests that uh, the building pictured is in Ukraine and was destroyed by a Russian strike. Now, that could not be further from the truth. How do I know that? Well, I'm standing right next to this building right now. It's behind me. And uh, I know for a fact that it was destroyed during barbaric and chaotic artillery shelling of peaceful civilians in Donetsk by Ukraine and not Russia. Such fake news regarding the almost nine-year conflict in Donbass has been surfacing in Western media on a regular basis. And it took me only five minutes to find a few examples.
for those in the podcast, it's the kind of absurd, very easy to prove lies like this that they're showing, like the past, like the Oman ambulance discussion or Abana or these very obvious operations. What you just saw if you're on the podcast was a family that was used on the Daily Mail to argue it was the other side. And it turns out it's a family from the Donbass. And they lied about that. And, it's, and you can see it right here on the video. Make sure you watch it video if you're only listening on the podcast. It's unbelievable. It's everywhere. And yet, what? how can you possibly deny that? What are you going to lie? Say, you're going to pretend that they just made a mistake? It's certainly possible. Over and over and over and over and over. Was the ghost of Kiev a mistake? Was raping children in, in the Russian soldiers a mistake? No, those were organized propaganda propaganda efforts. They're lying to you. Now, why would they need to lie to you if everything they said was true? of a child calling for you know a, a young child hurt by war saying that it was because of the russians the image is seven years old and this stuff is verifiable you can find these just like just like the images they showed of, of supposedly russian sh- air, uh, uh, jets flying over kiev uh, oh wait a minute except you can prove that was from six years ago right and it's right on or or images used from a video game to say we shot down russian planes and then, what's their excuse well it's a propaganda war we're trying to fight russia's propaganda war because they the ones propaganda so you're lying then yes but only when they do it people will buy whatever they want to buy if they want to choose a side team sport politics and now that's the worst part about it if they took an image of a baby that was hurt in donbass at the hands of the ukrainian soldiers seven years ago and used that to argue russian p- killed ukrainians during this certain time outside of the donbass think about the kind of ill the kind of sociopath it takes to use somebody you know you killed or injured and and use it that's the kind of analogy or argument i make all the time the worst of the worst are people that not only are bad, but use the, that are especially bad and then frame themselves as being the hero. It makes me sick. Wow. Well, as Maria points out, the UN, when, when, when they are forced to acknowledge the most obvious, absurd examples of, you know, bombing civilian areas in Donetsk, they have to say something, right? When it's that clear, well, the UN condemned the massive shelling in the recent shelling of the area, but of course stated they cannot say who carries out the shelling. Why were they unable to do the the mathematical assessment? Well, no, they could have. Were they were they unable to find pieces and 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 compare them? No, they could have done that. They just didn't, though. And that's her point. Well, who shells the city with Caesars and Himars and and harm seven seven seven? It's really hard to say. Extremely hard. The UN is a joke. Now, of course, you could argue that somebody else could have fired those missiles, but they didn't even do the investigation. They, it's, it's sort of like the Vayers. Well, we don't know. It's unverified. So as long as they can go, oh, we don't, we don't know. We have somebody else. We don't know who did it. Find out who did it. Isn't that your job? No, nah, no, nah, we just want to condemn. Everybody needs to relax. Everybody. Except when it's the other way around. They go, you did this and you're the bad guy. See, it's a certain thing with like Israel and Palestine. That everybody needs to calm down. Well, who's the one committing the crimes here? Everybody needs to ratchet. It's, it's so insulting to see this paper tiger of the UN act like they're trying to do anything. Now, really, it's a body of multiple different entities. The point is the controlling factors have made this thing useless today. I mean, it's, it's just an extension of the same Western powers. This is ridiculous. 
They can't, they don't have the courage to say, yes, we know this. People that stand up and have that kind of courage have a tendency to be regime changed a few years later, like even Morales, who courageously stood up and said, Pompeo, you're a criminal. And you saw Pompeo give him the regime change eye. And then what do you know? He's gone. Over and over and over, this happens. And I even called that, by the way. I even wrote an article. I, I did a show called The Impending Regime Change of Eva Morales. What do you know? Certainly happened, didn't it? <clears throat> well, here is uh, Ramesh pointing out the Times has very a very distorted understanding of the term barracks. Or this is just another attempt to whitewash Ukrainian war crimes. Right, look at this military barracks here in the video, right? Can't you tell it's a barracks? Oh, wait, it actually looks like a residential area, doesn't it? Well, this is what they call the barracks. When the Times reported about how the Ukrainians were bombing U- military barracks, no military targets whatsoever, which is usually the case, which you can prove. Now, yes, they're, they're all they're going to revert to without evidence. Is, well, Russia was using it as a bit. Well, if that's the case, then prove that. If it's not, then you can't just make up whatever suits the narrative. But that's what they do. It's certainly possible. But the cases we continue to show in these examples, areas inside of Donetsk that are not being used, aren't even on the front line. Doesn't matter, though. They continue to be bombed. Makes me sick. Now, Thomas Massey points out, regrettably, some of his congressional colleagues are more concerned about tracking your $600 Venmo payment instead of tracking the $60 billion, trillion dollars. Wait, is that, that's crazy. That can't, no, it's, it's $60 billion. Just I was making sure I didn't read that wrong. I'm like, wow, that's, I mean, here's the crazy part. The reason I even hesitate on that is because I do, the money that's gone over there <clears throat> is wildly over the top. I mean, because you have to factor in all the many countries that have been sending it <clears throat> and the way it's unaccountable. Anyway, I think it's way more than we're discussing, like than that graph we showed, let's say. Just my opinion. But the point is they're more interested in the $60 billion or more interested in your $600 Venmo payment than they are in the $60 billion that have been sent to Ukraine. Right? I mean, that's undeniably clear. The whole point about what they were doing with the IRS was to go after the big ticket people, right? Except they're focusing on your small payments. It's always about you. The war on terror was about you. The biosecurity state was about your body. It's always about controlling you. Always. Because that's the point, guys. The government is the government of themselves. They're out to control the race, the people, the human race. And that's where they're aiming today. Not just countries anymore, clearly. But yeah, sickening, isn't it? Well, to go on to Yemen for a moment, Chris Murphy points out as of the 13th, Today, the Senate will vote on a resolution to curtail further U.S. support for the war in Yemen. Oh, cool. So after, what, 15 years? Maybe more if we're talking about the time it happened when we weren't talking about it? Glad we took us this long, right? A little shade under the Afghanistan time frame. Good job, guys. Like, it's so painfully disgusting to watch them act like they're doing anything other than wrapping up what they've been destroying for 15 years. Well, more than that. The bottom line is, this is a joke. Even if they were doing this with good intentions, we need to hold... Where's the accountability for the absolute destruction of this country? The starvation of this country? The the war criminal activity constantly day after day? The bombing of ambulances? The bombing of food supplies? The the blockade of the most important port where 90 plus percent of food and medicine and water... I mean, come on. It's There's zero accountability. It says the war has been a total national security disaster. I mean, what do you mean a national security? It was never about national security. And it's time to send the strongest signals to Saudi Arabia and the UAE that must end. You mean to yourselves? Send yourselves the the message to stop funding and arming and creating this war in Yemen that you're completely behind, like the rest of the proxy wars are pointing out today? It makes me sick. 
A lot of stuff makes me sick today. Now, the point is, we're talking about ending this. Today, we're going to vote. Yesterday. Now, can you guess what happened? Can you guess what happens, like always happens when they pretend they're going to change something? Well, the people behind it back out. Bernie Sanders, who was the person behind this, who he always loves to put himself out there as the one fighting for the people with no voice and then sides with Hillary Clinton or side with whatever the, the person he's pretending is the enemy. Well, today, the, this, is the, this is yesterday, by the way, I withdrew from consideration by the U.S. Senate my War Powers Resolution after the Biden administration agreed to continue working with my office and ending the war. Oh, so we're going to keep talking about it for another 10 years. Great. So you make it a big statement to say we have to end this brutal war that's gone all this time. And then when Biden goes, we'll keep working with you. OK, we'll stop then. Never mind. Go back to business. I don't know why anybody takes these kind of people at face value. These people are criminals across the board. I don't care what a grandpa he looks like or what he pretends like he's fighting for the little man. This guy is part of the game. He says, let me be clear. If we do not reach agreement, I will, along with my colleagues, bring the resolution back for a vote. You just why? Why would you stop? Or you can pretend that the agreement couldn't have been reached the last 15 years? Like something suddenly shifted now? No, this is about the continuation of the of the agenda. He'll bring the resolution back in the near future and do everything possible to end this horrific conflict. Why not now? Like, okay, look at it this way. We're going to allow the negotiations or the conversation to continue for another 10 years or whatever the time frame is. Meanwhile, one child dies every three seconds over there right now. Right now. Right now. But yeah, let's give it some time just to make sure you guys are on the same page. Good job, politics. And don't stop forget who's responsible. So you got the very people responsible for what's happening acting like we're going to talk a little bit more as children die, as the starvation continues, as the whole cloth. I mean, the wholesale, basically what's happening right now is the, ex, the exporting of the very terrorist entities they continue to use to justify their presence everywhere. And that's kind of shifted inward now and being focused on us as well. Because let's not forget the Al-Qaeda pocket that's perfectly rested right in the center of the Saudi Arabian-controlled territory that's never gotten smaller since the beginning of this occupation shows you who they're working with. Just like every other place we've looked at. Should make you really frustrated. And as Sarah Abdallah points out, more than 11,000 children have been killed, and that's just the number that we point at because that's all... My, my argument is it's way, way bigger than that. And I would argue she would agree. Ultimately, the numbers have been very impossible to define because they just don't update. They were saying 10,000 people died in total up until like a few years ago. And they're like, oh, well, that's just because that's the last number we had seven years ago. And we just never updated. So you've been lying this whole time. Yes. Hundreds of thousands of people have died far more than that. But as she points out, as we can prove, more than 11,000 children have been killed in the U.S., U.K.-backed Saudi Arabian genocidal war on Yemen since 2015. Where are the calls for sanctions? Where is the global outrage? I mean, it just doesn't even matter what the context is. The point is, if you're allowing this to continue, it means you don't care. That's always been the case. UNICEF has also estimated that 2.2 million Yemeni children are malnourished, a quarter of whom are under the age of five. Hashtag free. Place. Oh, did you even forget that what was going on, right? Another forced regime change because the Houthis, who are supported by the people of Yemen, don't want their Saudi-backed government, so they kicked them out. And then the U.S. continued to, to fund and arm and support Saudi Arabia, who can't tie their own shoes without U.S. funding to continue to hurt and, and bomb these people into letting them have their power back. Hasn't happened yet because clearly Iran is supporting them. That does not mean it's an Iran proxy or that they are controlling what's happening, that they're just aligned 
as allies, like many people are with the U.S. around the world, except the U.S. is very clearly creating proxies everywhere they go. Now, it certainly could be, though. But the point, but the end of the day, they're, they're resigned to force these people to suffer and struggle and die until they get what they want. Hashtag freedom. Now, under to the absurd lies about the Iran conversation, U.N. removes Iran from the women's rights body. Great. Because they're violating women's rights. Of course. Right? Because that's what they care about. Well, is that what's happening? Are we talking about the hijab discussion, even though that's completely misrepresented in, the, in what's really going on? Or are we talking about protesters being killed? So why is it about women's rights? Because that's the core lie about this entire regime change effort that's going on right now. You know, the, the 2022 version of their Iran revolution. Every year they try to initiate the new regime change, color revolution. Because that's important. Because they continue to tell you that Iran was one of the most important seven countries in five years conversation. But it's about women's rights. And why would they kick them out about women's rights? Because they tried to pretend this was about the hijab. If, I, if I'm saying that correct, I believe that's how it's pronounced. But here's what's even more insulting. You know who else is on the women's rights, the women's rights body? Saudi Arabia. It's not a joke. Believe it or not, Saudi Arabia was elected to the UN Human Rights Commission. You know, Saudi Arabia, who lied about helping the human women's rights defenders and then arrested one of them for 17 years, despite the sentence ending that they already had. You know, because women's rights. I mean, it's so insulting that anybody pretends these people are not the pinnacle of the opposite of what they're pretending they're fighting for. That sounded kind of confusing, but it was said right. Here we are, Saudi Arabia judging Iran and saying, oh, you're not, you can't be on the women's rights body. Now, look, every one of these countries, including the United States and plenty of others, have their examples of why they're hypocrites in this exact topic. But nobody out there is more hypocritical in this than Saudi Arabia to be on this body or the human rights body, for that matter, which is the same point. It's a joke. But what they're doing here is about removing Iran for very clear political reasons. Now, if you want more about this, make sure you read Robert's recent work about the, about the World Cup, about the 15,000 protesters put to death and all the other lies that were proven to be lies, including the most recent lie they just spun out about. Uh, uh, let me see real quick. I might as well include it anyway, since I brought it up. There was a discussion about I'm trying to remember the top of my head. Of course, it takes way too long to load. So his recent point was. Um, Yes, that's right. So the individual that was killed, who was killed, hung by a crane, right? You read this for yourself. It's just amazing the way this is represented. Now, maybe they forgot to tell you that the guy, which they don't even dispute, they just don't tell you, murdered two people, two, two police officers, and I think somebody else with a knife. And they put him to death for it. Now, you can object about the death penalty, but there's numerous states in the United States that currently still have the death penalty for, for, for less than that, for one murder. Okay, so the bottom line is how disingenuous to frame that as some kind of barbaric reality when that's currently what's happening in this country for less than that. All they want to make it out to be every article, even the, the high minded corporate media part about the New York Times, the rest of them frame it as protesting. Oh, well, this guy was involved with protests. And that's why it happened. That's essentially their argument. The point is, guys, it's such an insulting misrepresentation. And meanwhile, Saudi Arabia is happy to sit on that board, too. Now, last point about someone like Anthony Blinken, who literally said this on the 9th. As we celebrate the 74th anniversary of the U.N.'s Universal Declaration of Human Rights, you know, like they respect any of the universal declarations, whether it's biosecure, whether it's bioethics or human rights, or it's, it's, it only matters when they want to pretend they're fighting for something. Its message remains as important today as ever. 
human rights belong to everyone everywhere. I guess, except the Iranian people, I guess, except the Afghani people, I guess, except the Syrian, Iraqi and Afghan, you know, all the, except for those people though, right? We don't care about those dirty Russians, right? They don't get human rights. I mean, think about how gross that is. As I said, think about the type of sociopath or potentially willful ignorance that it takes to make this statement while taking targeted action to actively undermine and outright trample on the human rights of entire nations. But yeah, we support human rights, though. I just can't see how anybody takes these people seriously. Now, to move on to the MAGA trap, vanilla ISIS, or however this will be framed going forward. These are just the parts that make it resonate with that story for people, because this is part of what's happening. This is a very interesting point that was made here. Now, this is really concerning, and it resonates with the point we'll get to in the end about micro, the anti-microchippers. Which, which at first glance appears to be a satire article, but I'm pretty sure it's actually real. We'll get into that at the end of the show today, but it overlaps with this point about how anything they want to frame as being against what they want to happen, it's suddenly white supremacist. It's suddenly anti-Semitism. It's suddenly whatever they want to call you to align it with the bad guy, right? MAGA, lone shooter, whatever narrative they're trying to spin with all this. I mean, it seems they seem to have almost lost control of this. It feels like their own, you know, the the um, inmates are running the asylum here with people that believe their own nonsense, and it's kind of gotten out away from them. I, that's just my perspective here. But as Andy New points out at the oversight, uh, what is it? Oversight Dems? Oh, the oversight committee hearing on white supremacy. They're literally having an oversight committee on white supremacy. Representative Nancy uh, Mace or McKay, I think it's Mace, asked witnesses if extreme rhetoric on social media is a threat to democracy. Which, of course, every single one of them says, yes, of course, of course, which is where this is going, right? That you saying what they don't want you to say is a threat to democracy. Not even that. It is violence. I mean, that's literally what they say. How long have I been telling you this is coming? I'm not, I mean, I'm not the only one. There's plenty of people making this point. But we need to see this in real time. It is happening in front of hurting people, even though that's an, an easily provable statement because we didn't define how much, they'll call that violence. Like, the liter- you could go to jail for violent crimes. That's where this is going. Now, the best part about this is how she catches one of these people who in, in and of herself is a, is a trans, I don't even know how it goes. It, she, it's a man who became a woman, I guess, and, and calls himself a lesbian. That's who this, per- that's who this Alejandra Cabar- C- Caraballo is. Now, watch for yourself. This is very, very, very concerning. Rhetoric on social media, a problem and a threat to our democracy, Mr. Ward. Also hear that as, is free speech, the actual definition of free speech, a threat to our democracy? Yes, absolutely. Mr. Siegel. Yes. Ms. Caraballo. Yes. Ms. Nomani. Yes. Ms. Tyler. Yes. Yes. Um, Another question I have, uh, do you believe that... Their constitutional duties um, is oh, a threat whoa, to whoa, democracy. Whoa. Let me know if you guys can hear me in the chat. Duties, Ms. Tyler. Yes. Yes. Oh, come um, on. You got to be kidding me. Another Lord. question I have uh, Do you believe. <sighs> <clears throat> Let me know if you guys can. Can you guys hear me in the chat? Let me know. And if you can, go ahead and give uh, Orwell a, a, a wrench in there. Something strange is going on. The video volume wasn't working just then. And I don't know if it's just me. It looks like the stream is struggling. 
Let me know if you can hear me in the chat, guys. Okay, you got me. Apologize for the podcast whenever this happens. It's just living in technocracy, I guess. Let's see if we can get this to play. That rhetoric targeting officials with violence for carrying out their constitutional duties. <clears throat> um, is there a question I have? Uh, yes. Ms. Tyler. Yes. Yes. Um, Another question I have, uh, do you believe that rhetoric targeting officials with violence for carrying out their constitutional duties um, is a threat to democracy, Mr. Ward? Mr. Siegel? Yes. 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 All right. Thank you very much. And the best part about that is, of course, when you ask these questions in very broad ways, what do they think about? Well, of course, they think about the, the evil Republicans or QAnon out there attacking the leaders of the Democrat Party and the, lead, the, the left-leaning judges and the left-leaning teachers and whatever else. That's how, they, that's how they read this, and they answer, yes, of course, that's a threat. Now, what she's going to show you is that's exactly what this Alejandro guy did. But I guess he didn't consider that he said that, maybe he forgot. But so it's perfect because he just went on the record saying what he literally did is a threat to democracy. Now, And the point is that's how this all works. The very people saying that the threat are the power in at least the people doing it too. If you get, if you actually think it's a threat, we're talking about free speech here. They just don't like it when people they don't like say things they don't like. And that goes for both sides to some degree, but obviously it's very clearly slanted to one way here. Very much. Only a few weeks after the attempted attack on a Supreme Court justice on June 25th, one of the witnesses, Alejandra Caraballo, tweeted out the following in response to a decision on abortion overturning Roe v. Wade. And I'll quote directly from the tweet. The six justices who overturned Roe should never know peace again. Hmm. It is our civic duty to accost them every time they're in public. They are pariahs. Since women don't have their rights, these justices should never have a peaceful moment in public again. I know something about being accosted. The night of January 5th, I was physically accosted on the streets of D.C. in Navy Yard by a constituent of mine. I fervently blamed rhetoric, rhetoric on social media, rhetoric at public events, for being physically accosted. I carry a gun everywhere I go when I am in my district and I'm at home because I know personally that rhetoric has consequences. I've had my car keyed. I've had my house spray painted. I had someone trespass in my house as recently as August. I've been doxxed on social media about where I live. Um, And I've had to add to security everywhere I go, often because I can't afford it. I have to carry my own firearm wherever I go. And... um, Alejandra Caraballo also recently tweeted on November 19th, not even a month ago, that the Supreme Court, vested with the judicial power of the United States by our Constitution, stated they are not a legitimate court issuing decisions. And also the Supreme Court is an organ of the far right. So So they would be legitimate if they were just on the left. Right. Think about the childish kind of person it makes to make that kind of argument. My last question today of Ms. Caraballo, do you stand by these comments this kind of rhetoric on social media? And do you believe it's a threat to democracy? Thank you, Representative, for the opportunity to clarify and provide context. Just so it's clear that there, this is based on the, the Twitter breakdown and her own and his own tweets. This is apparently a man who went through tr- uh, the process and is now calling himself a lesbian, just in case that matters to you. Context to my tweets. Um, and I have a question. Is it yes or no? Do you believe your rhetoric is a threat to democracy when you're calling to accost 
a branch of government, the Supreme Court. I don't believe that's a correct uh, characterization of my statements. Did you not tweet that? That you thought that the Supreme Court justices should be accosted? What I'm saying is that 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 is not an accurate characterization of my statements. I mean, how do you even argue that? It's literally verbatim. It's a full sentence. You can see it all. It's right there. There's very clear meaning to the words. How do you misrepresent it? She just read what you said. But that's kind of like the, I don't remember Fauci or whoever else or, or uh, Comey. You know, just, just, they, they just sleepwalk through these things. June 8th of this year, a man was arrested near Justice Brett Kavanaugh's home in Maryland. He told law enforcement officers he wanted to kill a Supreme Court justice. He was found... Um, uh, with uh, a knife, with a pistol, two magazines, ammunition, pepper spray, zip ties, a hammer, crowbar, and duct tape. Ms. Carabayo, on page 12 and 13 of your written testimony, you painted concerned parents as having been infiltrated by white nationalists and far-right militia groups, which played a significant role in school board protests. This- ah, the school board protests, right? This, this was very irrelevant to this whole butt back and forth. We talked about that when, when Clay Travis showed up at the Williamson County one. And uh, I, was, I believe it was Clay, if I'm misremembering the name, but very prominent en- entity at the time and basically said what was used to then spin this out of control and say that people there were violent, even though I was there and they weren't. So I don't know if it was by accident or not, but we can see that this was meant to be a dynamic where they went there, said the one thing, they point at it and saying, bad, bad, bad. And it, that's, it's the left-right paradigm. That's really just the two-party illusion. This is not... This has not actually been my experience with concerned parents. In your testimony, you wrote that in Loudoun County, Virginia, unfounded rumors that spread in local parent groups on Facebook about an alleged trans student sexually assaulting a girl in a bathroom led to a firestorm of of several heated school board protests that descended into violence. But in fact, the perpetrator, it actually turned out, had committed two sexual assaults at two different Loudoun County schools in 2021 and was arrested on October 7th, 2021 by the Loudoun County Sheriff's Office. Imagine finding a a way to not include that information. (laughs) Like, imagine the kind of person that would tell that story and leave that part out. You You could think of a thousand different things to call that. These weren't unfounded rumors, as you suggest. It actually turns out law enforcement had to act because a sexual assault occurred. So giving this... I'm assuming that until now you were unaware of, of what happened here and you're going to update your testimony for the committee. Is that correct? Hmm. Now, the real, the real point here, guys, is this goes both ways, doesn't it? Because as much as it's fun to point out that that person just got caught in their own lie and they're the ones pointing at the other side and saying they're dangerous and their words on social media are a threat to our democracy, except if you frame it like she did exactly the way you said it and point to the other side, you go, yeah, yeah, it's a threat. Oh, but mine's taken out of context. Right. That's it's it's it. There's a there's a, a it's fun to point out somebody who's getting caught in their lies. But here's the problem. It's still the right saying it from the other side. OK, so you're not allowed to say now, look, there's a line where you can argue somebody's threatening somebody and there is a law against that. But. If you're my point is not to justify the costing or whatever, the point is that you can see from either way you look at this, that where does it end up going? Well, the suppression of speech. So her argument is still the same thing, but from the other way, their argument boils down to, well, you're doing it too, right? So you could argue that there's more behind that where she's doing it as a means to an end to show you that the argument is illogical, but I don't think that's where it's going. I think they're all driving us in a direction that limits speech. 
That's not free speech. But understand that the people on this side of it that are pushing this from an angle that frame the right as this evil, villainous, white supremacist, lone shooting, mass terror entity are at the very least dishonest about it in most ways you can point out. You know, with being okay with Black Lives Matter, certain things, but not, not okay with a whatever, whatever the alternative would be, the, a, a Republican protest, right? So it, it's just, it's, it's frustrating to see the dishonesty around the whole thing. And I think there's a, it's a, an agenda that's playing out. And even, even framing these, like that last part of it, ignoring the most important part of that because you want to promote your transgender ideology. I mean, these are dishonest people. Now, just simply me pointing out that that person is that, a transgender person, is going to probably frame as some kind of attack. Is that not the truth? Is it not part of the conversation? Does that not influence his politics? Of course it does. Just like anything else would. But that's it's creating a protected class like anything else. But here is where this is going for me. That's interesting. What is the what is the gold check mark check mark mean? Did he really give them a special check mark? I'm gonna laugh so hard if we find out that the check that the you know you can buy the blue check mark, but they just made the real check mark now. So the blue one doesn't count anymore. Right? Like how much you want to bet that's what this is. Somebody find that out for me. I'm interested to find out what this, this check mark. God, I just I don't want to be right, but I swear I am everything about this seems to be a game and we're being played. It, like, just think about it. If he, if he sells the blue check mark to people that want to pretend that that brings them to another level, but then he just makes the higher check mark they still give to the people above that, if that's what's happening, it makes it meaningless. You're the guy that will pay for it. <laughs> that's all that only makes him. Anyway, I'm not going to jump the gun. Let's wait and see what that means. I find that very interesting. But here's the point New York Times writes Elon Musk publicly attacked Dr. Fauci and Yule Roth, Twitter's former head of trust and safety, over the weekend. Did he? Not really. His jabs may resonate. It's funny choice of words may resonate with far right audiences, but are likely to deter wary advertisers. Now, the point about this is framing it as a way, framing it as an attack, attack them. Well, first of all, he said, my pronouns are prosecute and Fauci. So is it an attack to say that a public figure who broke the law, or even if you don't think that just to say a public figure deserves to be prosecuted? Why is that an attack? Because they're a protected class these days. Now we can realize he has very clearly been caught in numerous lies. He's very clearly committed all sorts of crimes, in my opinion. So, first of all, as an American, I have a right to have that opinion, don't I? So I can say that person, if they did commit crimes, of course should be prosecuted. But they want to make that an attack. That's a game that's being played. But either way, it sets up the conversation to say that free speech is violence. And then, of course, Yule Roth, who, now you could argue there's a line that was crossed. I don't really agree with that, though, because this was a, a uh, thesis that you could access and find publicly. And he just simply pointed at a weird part of it that I also think is very weird. And they, because that then became a problem for him, they blame Elon for that. But, but what's interesting on another point of that is the only way this first came out was Elon pointing at a screenshot and with statements. Now, you can find out that did come from the thesis. But what I love about that is that most everybody that engaged with that took it at face value, just like they were trained and even though what you were right, even though you could you you assumed right, next time maybe you won't. Next time maybe you'll assume because he said it and because it appears he's right and he was actually lying. That's how this works. Or maybe it'll take forty times. Maybe it'll be the next owner of Twitter. The point is we're being set up to take things at face value through a mediary, intermediary. I just thought that was such an interesting point. I was actually going to do a po- focus on that and it got it got behind me. But that's how that started. Here's the screenshot, and it's his thing. And and, and you, there's Surovich, I think, made a comment about looking it up. And yeah, it's there. The point is, most everybody took that at face value. And that's how this whole game is played. 
Now, the next part of it is how the Daily Mail framed this. Ex-Twitter censor Yul Roth and his boyfriend are forced to flee their home. Get ready for this to be used as the primary case of how free speech equals violence. That's my assumption. Even though that's absurd, by the way, because it's words. Words are not violence, no matter how you spin it. I'm very worried we're being set up, guys, two-party illusion. He had to flee his million-dollar home. Think about that, working at Twitter as a censor and being a million-dollar home. More going on there, I think. But overall, this is where this ends up. This is just a, just a random example. Triple shooting, two police killed, and a civilian. Very weird story, by the way, as the civilian seems to be, even the article says innocent, but yet got shot. And there's no discussion about why that was crazy. Like, just like, yeah, they got shot too. Move on. Very strange. But my point's not about the actual discussion. It's except that the point is this person apparently, I guess we'll assume, because we know how they've been caught lying about this stuff, but shot somebody, two people. Or somebody, or actually, I'm not the story itself. It's, it's very convoluted whether they got shot after they were just present with a weapon or that they shot first. The bottom line is killer's wild beliefs. Police shooter exposed as conspiracy theorist. Okay. And then you look into it. Well, what is it? Well, it's questioning mainstream narratives, arguing that this one example of something was a false flag and it was conducted to justify the removal of guns. Well, is that impossible? No. Has it happened in the past? Yes. So all this really boils down to is instead of discussing what the crime was, simply finding out any belief they may have had that you can use to frame them as part of a bigger problem, even if it's not the case. And just saying conspiracy theorist, which becomes a catch-all term for whoever they want to blame. And if you're a problem, well, you just simply become a conspiracy theorist, like all the highly educated doctors out there that are saying the wrong thing and being proven right. But, you know, the easy way this to, for this to go it's just to pretend that, well, you know, anything bad that happens on Twitter, it's because we're in an upheaval. Certainly possible. Oh, that censorship, that censorship, oh, that was that one guy, we got rid of him, right? But anything good that happens because we're changing the world. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm saying that nobody knows that for sure. And all these people out there that are just happy to just follow along Elon and praise everything he does instead of being an adult and questioning this like any discerning person would. Are, are, it's, you're just being led right by the nose. Because the statement says, Twitter, please note that Twitter will do a lot of dumb things in the coming months. We will keep what works and change what doesn't. Now, sure, that could be an honest statement. Maybe he's just literally willing to try different things. Now, my, my honest feeling here is that I feel quite strongly that Elon himself and this agenda is caught up in all the things that are going on. But at the same time, does not mean he's exactly what everything else we say. Like, maybe he is just trying to do right by Twitter. Who knows? I don't know is the point. But this statement is an easy way to catch. It's a catch-all. Everything bad is not his fault. Everything good is. Let's just assume that going forward because he said it right there. Now, here's the interesting on that same note. There's a discussion about when he talked about getting rid of all those bots, right? Now, and, and by the way, this comes from the platformer, which I'm not familiar with. It's been discussed by the Business Insider. But this seems to rest entirely on the platformer. So for all we know, it can be a complete lie. And that's what I would say with any entity that does not provide source material. But it says on Sunday, Elon Musk tweeted a vague warning. The bots are in for a surprise tomorrow. But in the hours that followed, Twitter blocked traffic, apparently, from about 30 mobile carriers around the world, effectively cutting off access to hundreds of thousands of accounts, primarily in the Asian Pacific region, including vast swaths of Russia, Indonesia, India, and Malaysia. Okay, so the reason I'm bringing this up First, because whether it's accidental or not, it's essentially censorship restriction, right? But that's the real question. Was it by accident? Was this a test? Was this, an, was this some kind of effort to see how this would play out? 
We don't know. And the problem is that because of everybody that wants to believe it, they're going to assume it was a mistake because Elon wouldn't do that. Of course, we know that, don't we? I'm wondering whether this has more to do with something that took place in Russia. Maybe it's an experiment to see how they can control or shut off selective parts of the internet or you know, selective parts of their access to the app or control certain flows of information from certain areas. I mean, we have to realize how important this is to their agenda. And we see something like this happen and it's barely even talked about. The project was part of Elon Musk's attempt to rid Twitter of spam, they said, but rather than work to remove individual offenders, the company identified, apparently, mobile networks associated with large spam networks in specific countries and blocked users who relied on those networks from receiving SMS messages from Twitter impacting people with two-factor authentication. Then it blocked traffic from those carriers completely. Now, it seems like that makes sense, doesn't it? But is there more to the story? Was this something more going on? Was this a test? I mean, we've seen this happen with areas from before this, with Iran, Russia, China, how they selectively do things like this. This feels like the same thing to me, or at least a test. From 5.35 a.m. to 6.45 on Sunday, Twitter shut down access to the primary telecom providers in India and Russia, as well as the second biggest telecom company in Indonesia. Almost immediately, complaints started to roll in as legitimate users found they were unable to access Twitter. The company quickly unblocked the carriers and told them the service issues were due to a routing configuration change, which apparently was a lie. Now, the main point here about this article is it's time to start leaving Twitter behind, which is like the 90% of the article. So just to, if you want to hear them screech about how Elon's destroying the world, then it'll give you a little insight into how they may have a bias. But either way, it seems to have happened. And I find it very interesting. Now, censorship does appear to still be happening. I don't know why people who want to pretend Elon is doing everything great can't at least engage with this. The problem is that people don't want, when you point something like this out, you get the kind of responses that you would expect. What do you expect him to do everything one day? It's like, whoa, man, like hold the phone. Like we're not, nobody's even, like we're being objective about this. Nashville Angela points this out and says, if the bird is free, why do these things keep happening? This is Matt Guba. 116,000 followers, account suspended as of the 13th. You might have seen him on Twitter. Here's a little bit of his content. Things the World Economic Forum have in store for us if we let them keep going. Klaus wants to control what you see and what you do. COVID is trending right now for all the wrong, right, all the right reasons. Look like Klaus Schwab and his cronies have got their butt. Right, you see where this is going. Now, if you think that Elon is acutely tied up with this agenda, maybe there's something to this. And I'll have something right after this that might make you think deeper about that. Before we get to that, though, this says, because the accounts are getting added back slowly, McCullough, Malone were added today, which they were. Dr. Malone, Dr. McCullough. Weird how that's the two people that everybody kept saying, what about these two? Not that they were the only ones, but they were the most prominent. And then what do you know? They both come right back. It's almost like they keep getting thrown a bone. They're like, is that enough? We good? What about, what about McDonald Trump? Oh, here's Trump. Are you good? What about Dr. Malone? Here's Malone. Are you good? How about you just bring everybody back like you said you would? How about you just actually create a situation where medical misinformation is not still happening, like, or not being, still being censored on? Like, this feels like people are, he's just one step at a time hoping we just stop paying attention or stop realizing that literally the vast majority of people that were currently censored on this exact frame, uh, uh, justification aren't back yet and probably won't be, including the last American vagabond. Look, I, look I'm going to come, I'll say it right now, and I felt this way from the beginning. I, some, something in me says, absolutely, I will not be let back on this platform. Like, just, I feel like I could bet my life on it. 
I'm hoping it changes. I hope it does. I just, I find it, I feel everything in me tells me that's not going to happen. Not that I'm special or anything, but just there's there's a, a specific way about our platform that people don't like, apparently, in the two-party paradigm, and the objective realm. But she says they were added last night. I tweeted it. In the meantime, Texas Kate had her account taken down, which she did. Right? So this is happening in the same time frame. It's not that these people are still censored. They're just, they're being removed while this is happening. And somebody said that I just responded. They're saying this. I'm I'm sure you've already seen it from your previous objective posts on this topic. But get ready to be attacked simply for posing a valid question. I hope Elon's intentions are good, and we should all want that. But I have very serious doubts about this. Uh, I wanted to point out what somebody responded, and I thought this was the kind of thing I was talking about. This person just said, "What's my supposed to do? Snap his fingers and wiggle his nose and make everything right overnight? Geez, give it time. He's get. You see my point? Like, wow." As I said, take a breath. It's pretty obvious she's posing the question to those claiming free speech has already been saved by Elon, right? I think that's obvious. And to those claiming that, isn't that a valid question? Right? I mean, not, not, maybe not Sue. Maybe Sue is saying, let's give it time and see. Fair, right? But people are out there going, Elon, save free speech. Okay, for to those people, how do you explain this? Those are the ones that won't answer or will get very angry when you point it out. Because they're not being objective, obviously. Make sure I got the right one up. Hold on, it's right here. There it is. So here is the next point that I think is very, very telling, which of course is already being framed as a partisan point. This is real, okay? This happened. Now, there may be more story around it, right? There may be like more narrative that will come out tomorrow, but the fact that this being pointed out as being attacked as somehow like a left and like whatever anytime you point out something when you're being objective in the middle the side that it doesn't work for attacks you as being the other side because that's the only thing that makes sense in this two-party illusion two people that are stuck in it but this is important because this seems to be very obvious twitter has suspended as of i believe yesterday or this morning the account that follows elon's jet in a way that points out that it's being used and you know that basically it's not something he likes but not the one following jeff jeff bezos's jet that's a very interesting overlap, even though they do the same thing and are run by the same guy. Now, the point was, Elon came out and said this was some kind of a safety risk to him, but that he wouldn't censor it. Very said that blatantly. Why does Elon hate free speech when speech is about Elon Musk? Levi Point asks. Now, you can check the account for yourself. Elon Jet. In fact, for the very purpose of this, let me grab it for you. I had it open a moment ago, and I don't know why I closed it. Hold on. Okay, Elon Jet suspended. Now it says, not only did Twitter ban the account that tracks his plane, it has now banned the guy who runs the account. Now this is after this first post, right? My commitment to free speech extends even to not banning the account following my plane, even though that is a direct personal safety risk. So apparently somebody spoke to him and talked and, you know, convinced him otherwise. And then he said, well, it's a safety risk, he'll censor. Okay, fine, whatever. So it's pretty ridiculous to come out and say, now that's all assumption. Who knows what actually happened? I'm sure he'll have to speak about it if he cares about free speech. Maybe he won't. That you come out and make a point that you're not going to do this because free speech and then do it? Now I'm holding out judgment to a degree until you know maybe we find out that there was an, you know, that's my point about that other, that other tweet, which, you know, it's pretty much going to be, oh, it was, you know, the other guy. Where was that? Right there. 
you know, they do dumb things or we're still getting rid of bad people. And it's just this open-ended catch-all. So that's probably what will happen. But you can see that these are suspended. Finally, it says one of his last tweets. This is Jack Sweeney. They just got banned. Turns out SpaceX Jet, my other account for the employee jets SpaceX used, is also permanently suspended. This is coordinated and Elon is well aware, I'm sure. And now, look, he's not even, now all these accounts are gone. I mean, come, guys, you, you need to see what this is. And if you're a Republican out there that is acts at absolute, that's trying to pretend this is a, a left manipulation, like, I'm open to that possibility, but you damn well better prove that if you're going to make that statement when you can clearly see that the accounts are gone and he's controlling this platform. So this is a self, if this, if it looks, if it, if it is what it appears to be, he censored this account because he doesn't want it there and censored the other account that tracks SpaceX and so on at first while leaving Jeff Bezos account, but then appears like he censored the guy in general. Oh, actually, no, you know what? It's not because this has a different tab. And let's actually find out if that's still there. What was it? Bezos, Bezos jets. Here, let's do this one. B, hold on. E, E. Bezos. Oh, so that's gone too. I'm glad we checked. So apparently it wasn't gone, but now it is. So, I mean, that's obviously, probably my guess would be that that was realized once this happened and then done to make it look even. Either way, it's censorship, isn't it? My guess is going to be it's going to be a safety argument. Well, it's unsafe because they're tracking them. So it's not free speech then. And very clearly come out and say it's not going to do it and then do it is pretty stupid. Now, Here's the article about it if you want to read it. Free speech warrior Elon Musk bans Twitter account that tracked his private jet. Even that's what he said he wouldn't do. Now, I think it's pretty obvious to me that this is not going the way people want it to go. And the people that want it to go to be perceived that way will lie about it until they absolutely can't anymore. And the people that don't want to see the good will lie about the bad. I mean, it's the same two-party nonsense. My original Twitter account was TLA Vagabond. I'll get to it in a second, actually. I have it up here. Somebody's asking in the chat. The point is, this is everything on the table paints a picture that is not about free speech, and and still can and still continuing to see shadow banning, censorship, suppression. I mean, it's everywhere. And then we align that with what else is going on, and it seems to be an illusion that we're watching play out. As I pointed out in my last show, hashtag Twitter files is essentially trust the science in a media format. It's what we're being trained right now. And I and like, I hope I'm wrong. And I will happily stand up and say that if this turns out to go the other direction. But it's we're, not, we're watching steps in the wrong direction every day. Now, on BitChute, somebody just pointed this out to me. I actually just grabbed this interview. I was looking for this interview for a different reason. It's a great interview, by the way. Stephanie Seneff, Danny Rancourt, Roundtable, where we talk about glyphosate, mRNA, and spike proteins working together to destroy your body. It's a wild discussion since glyphosate is basically ubiquitous. But the point was to look up BitChute. Because they are, this is something they posted. And I'm just finding out about this. Like, this is a big deal. They're telling you banks have canceled their accounts for BitChute and will not give them their money. Man, this is concerning, guys. This is where this is going. They need your support. They, I mean, this is very concerning because this is what will start to happen to people in this sphere. Now, I argue they're probably going to start with groups like this. Start with the larger, the media platforms, which I'm going to go ahead and guess won't happen to Rumble, despite the same content being there. Gee, I wonder why. But the point being is this is going to happen, and it's going to continue to increase until it starts becoming regular content creators. 
I'm very concerned about this. Now, on the note of censorship, I also want to point out that Slow Newsday, who <laughs> he told me in the chat, he hasn't po he posted maybe 10 videos over or a very few amount of videos over a long period of time. And they just got permanently removed from YouTube. It's just so clear how they're sweeping out anybody objective, anybody willing to entertain things that are not locked in the two-party paradigm. It's just so embarrassing how irrelevant YouTube is making themselves and has been for a long time. RIP Slow News Day channel. But it's okay, though, because this is, I mean, this is a badge of honor. And I, I'm going to try to get him going with his hashtag SND pirate channels, right? Slow News Day pirate channels. But it's continuing. And here's my point about censorship for you guys to, to know. I just, and I'm just going to continue to point this out. I'm going to continue to retweet this to keep it at the top of my stream as long as it takes. And you know what? It's probably going to bother him if he keeps seeing it. But it, it, it doesn't, if it's going to come down to his personal opinion, then it's not about free speech, is it? My original account is right there. TLA Vagabond. I forget what it was. Was it 30,000 followers? You guys tell me. I, I forget what it was. We had a, a large following. Elon putting this out there again. T-Lab was censored for alleged COVID-19 medical misinformation. You know, the thing that's supposed to no longer exist. The point disputed was later proven to be correct and is now supported by many peer-reviewed studies. And you even remove the policy. Can T-Lab, TLA Vagabond be reinstated? And by the way, I put my appeal in, which is why this came back out, and they denied it. Under the claim of hateful conduct, me, of all people, against promoting violence to directly attack or threaten people based on race, gender, disability, or disease. No. Now, if you want to frame me pointing out that somebody is transgender, it's attacking them, yeah, you guys can make up whatever you want. I am actively and always fighting, including for the trans community, for the people to have their own rights to respect it. As long as that doesn't mean you're trampling on my rights, because my rights matter too. So you can't force me to say certain things. You can't force me to see things certain ways. The bottom line is, I actively and regularly advocate for nonviolence. Marshall seems to think it was 50K. It's sad, seeing as how we just continue to... Anyway, the point is, guys, I believe we've been shifted into the hate speech category, so we, don't, we won't be allowed back on. Even though... How in the world we suddenly created hate speech on an account that we weren't using that was originally stopped on medical misinformation? Did they comb back through old content to pretend I was committing hate speech, even though you know that I'm not? I mean, it's just, it's, it feels very coordinated. Now, on the concept of promoting violence, by the way, seeing as how they pretend that's what I'm doing, here's an interesting point. Right now, I just, I challenge you to check out any number of the Ukraine-based accounts, like the government, and pretend that that's not promoting violence on a regular basis. Here's just one example. Defense of Ukraine. A hangar with burned Russian equipment turned into a mass grave. You had no reason to come here at all. Think before you go to Ukraine. So promoting the idea of burning dead people or burning Russians inside of this building. And just in case you weren't clear on that, read the comments. Russians make the best fertilizer. That's still there. Happy to keep that stuff there, right? No big deal. Allowed to promote violence as long as you promote the right kind of violence. But if I'm over here arguing nonviolence, that's bad kind of violent promoting, right? That makes sense? It's everywhere, guys. This is everywhere on these, especially just the Ukrainian individual accounts that I argue are bots for the most part or government entities or even just people radicalized by the Ukrainian fascism right now are out there screaming violent things against people in Donbass, ethnic Russians. But it's okay, though, because, you know, that, that's the kind of violent promotion that Elon is okay with, apparently, or whoever is supposed to be in charge. And then one last point about Twitter. This is just so embarrassing 
There are so many people out there who are playing the other side of this game and acting like Elon's destroying the planet. Now, I could point out very concerning reasons I think he's tied up with the agenda that's going forward, which potentially could go that direction, but not from just Twitter or just allowing free speech. It's just so pathetic how these people are losing their minds about the illusion that he's brought back free speech. Hasn't even happened, guys. It's the same damn broken thing right now that's censoring people, and just it's hilarious to watch how people are framing this. But I'm holding out hope that it will get better. What he points out here, though, is that expressing your outrage at Elon's unconscionable attack on Tony Fauci. Again, my pronouns are prosecute Fauci. An attack. That's an attack to them. Don't miss the overlap, as always, because your words are violence, you racist, right? Boycott Twitter this Tuesday. And Tuesday is going forward until he retracts this tweet, because that's going to happen, right? Bob Morris, MD, PhD. (laughs) Imagine thinking you were conducting some meaningful protest by suddenly not using Twitter on Tuesday. Imagine the kind of person who thinks this would matter to anyone. The hubris of these people. Hashtag prosecute Fauci. Hashtag question Elon. Hashtag two-party illusion. And then everybody doesn't like it and everybody goes away. And that's why that works. Because only people with two-party pair. The point is, guys, this is unbelievable. Like, you really think that's going to matter? Like, oh, no, where's Bob today? Twitter doesn't work anymore. It's just amazing to me the kind of people that are lost in the two-party paradigm. I don't believe it's everybody. I really don't. Now, to go into more of a COVID discussion, I, there's, Nashville Angela makes a really good statement here that we need to consider. And I argue this goes across the board, not just COVID-19 conversation, but everywhere. As she writes, proceed with caution, folks. Proceed with caution in every angle. There are people coming out of the woodwork to rebuild trust. Some are saying, stop the shots but we'll jump on the next bandwagon as soon as they find something they deem worthy to inject. Now, look, you could read that as they may actually be disagreeing with what's happening now and may just promote the thing they want to tomorrow. Or you could read it as how I see this, that you've got people out there that are inside of the agenda that are coming out and acting like they're challenging the agenda. That usually only happens when these things have fallen apart. And before it fully falls apart, They see the writing on the wall, so they kick out the new people to become the new agenda angle. And they come out and they go, no, I see what the government's doing. You can stand with me. I'll fight it. And then they just get all the trust. And then a year later, they do the same thing, a different angle. And then, of course, you have to fight through all of their supporters to show them that they are doing the same thing. This is how this works, guys. Pay close attention to their words, she says. Shills everywhere. I agree. But it doesn't mean you should assume people are shills because it's the same problem. Just question everything, engage with everything, show discernment. But here's some examples that I thought were very telling. This is Nashville Angela pointing out, well, first of all, Robbie Starbucks saying, Governor DeSantis announces a petition with the Florida Supreme Court to in-panel a statewide grand jury to investigate any and all wrongdoing in Florida with respect to COVID-19 vaccines. Great. 100% behind that. 100%. He wants vaccine makers that it's against the law. He warns vaccine makers that it's against the law to mislead and misrepresent. Good. It's all, that all sounds great, right? It, I mean, if that happens and it turns out to be on, good, no matter who's behind it. But here's the point that I thought was very revealing that people like Robbie or anybody else are seemingly don't care about when it challenges the, the narrative that's working, right? Why did he remove this person and other doctors from this very meeting? Which he did. It says, what happened here? Did you not want the people to know that this man's teenage son died after the injection? Do you know who this is? 
Ernest Ramirez, the, one of the most well-known people in this discussion whose child died at the Pfizer injection. I've, I, I, I have his picture here. Um, you, oh, here's right here. You can see him right there. That, you, you, this guy with the shaved head with the goatee. This is his son that died. And he was invited and then kicked out. The host will let you in. He's in the meeting. And it says, you are unable to join because the, you were moved by the host. Which is either DeSantis or somebody controlling it for DeSantis. I think that's very concerning. Now, that's just one point. But simply asking, why was he removed? Hmm, it's interesting. And then people, and then somebody going, he could never be trusted. My God, people are so, makes me, God, I just, sometimes just get sick with certain types of, certain parts of humanity. You want to call them that. But then Brooke Jackson, of all people, steps in with a similar point. Now, there's few people out there argue would has the has the, the kind of respect that Brooke does in this discussion because of what she's proven to you, what she's put on the line to tell the truth. So Ron DeSantis, his own account, tweets out, Florida will hold the medical establishment accountable by creating the grand jury we just discussed, investigating cardiac-related death tied to the mRNA vaccine, forming a public health integrity committee to oversee the medical establishment. Let's not forget that they did a 9-11 commission too. Right. And when that first started, people were hopeful. Maybe they're going to really dig into this. Didn't happen. I'm not saying that's what's happening here. I will always hold out hope that I will. The, the right thing will happen. But interesting, isn't it? As Brooke Jackson, of all people, says, I don't believe you. Tell the people why you canceled our meeting today. So apparently Brooke was part of the people that got canceled. Brooke Jackson, of all people. Why wouldn't you want her to speak? She says, I'm sick of politicians. I am tired of the so-called leaders letting us down. They act as though they are powerless when, in fact, they're just complicit. People are effing dying, sir. That's my point from before with Sa Sanders and Yemen. Oh, well, we're going to keep talking, so we're going to put aside the bill that would stop the war. No, you are allowing it to continue by inaction. That is the same thing. You are all complicit. And then she has a point. I'm talking to you, too, Senator Ron Johnson. She says, I'm not here to make friends or political allies. I could give an S. I'm not left or right, blue or red. What is right, not what is right, not wrong. That's what she stands for. It's real simple. These people have taken everything, not nothing to sell, no Substack subscription or paid appearances to make. Go fight harder or sit down. Absolutely. Absolutely. After I saw this, I reached out to her again and said, hey, I think I've had her on three times now. Remember the very first time, the first interview was her first interview live on the air. On the last American Vagabond, as always, demonstrating our value long, long before her topic was mainstream conversation. And we proved it back then. But I invited her back on to have another conversation just to kind of, you know, reconnect, see what's going on now. Because clearly there's some very interesting stuff happening. But question, guys, question these people. As, Nash, as Angela says, proceed with caution. They will always try to get ahead of the story. Now, here is the part that she shared, and I saw, which I'm really grateful she did because I didn't see this. This is actually pretty profound. As she writes, still bound by the rule that applies to all emergency use authorizations, which is the main point that they are not allowed to claim that it is safe and effective in specific context. And we'll go through this for you. But what's interesting about this, and thank you, Nat and Angela, for pointing this out, is that ultimately this was posted on December 1st, 13 days ago. What it reveals is that they seem to 
have never been, as you know, because we've talked about it, adhering to this. And even now with their changes, they're still not. And yet it's like, I don't even think they realize what just happened or maybe they do and don't care. Interesting. FDA lightens promotional restrictions for certain COVID-19 drugs with emergency use authorization. Now, just the title before we even get into it. Why would that even make sense? Right. So you're talking about an emergency use authorization that is only meant to be used in an emergency as a precursor to approval. Only when there's an emergency, though. Right. Don't, you, otherwise, you go through the normal process. And, and, and so what, there are, what we're going to do is remove, re- lighten the restrictions so it's easier to get emergency authorized drugs. Why would that even possibly make sense? But it gets worse than that when you realize that they're admitting that they have essentially always been breaking these rules. Now, don't forget, guys, that the media which is how they play this the most, which I, I, I'm not going to say is necessarily illegal, but very dishonest, just like they did with 9-11 or anything else. They go, well, we didn't tell you Iraq was involved. Yeah, but the media screened it every day, all night, forever, and that's why that happened. Plausible deniability. The point is, what have we heard ad nauseum, day in, day out, constantly right up to this moment? Safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. Not could be, maybe, appears to be, but absolutely, beyond a doubt, safe and effective. You've been attacked for challenging that. That we know it's safe and effective. People are dead, are dying on that hill. Now watch this. Read through this and it'll, for some, maybe hopefully somebody paying attention who's never seen this show before will be awoken to the reality. Is what it says. We wanted to flag for readers. And this is the article from uh, J.D. Supra. We want to flag for readers a recent development in advertising and promotion regulation that the FDA quietly, re- quietly released nearly a month ago, so in November. In a memorandum issued on October 27th, on October 27th, called the memorandum, the FDA indicated that it will now permit certain COVID-19 drugs that have been granted emergency use authorization, even though we're no longer an emergency, and even though as even as article writes, there's every possible reason why it's not even valid, has been granted EUA to make claims of safety and efficacy in print, advertising and promotional materials, pursuant to certain limitations. Okay, are you going to pretend right now that they haven't been using print and advertising and promotional materials? I have literally seen this stated by Pfizer and Moderna or on corporate outlets that it's safe and effective. Have we not? I've seen government documentation that flat out wrote safe and effective. I mean, I mean, tell me I'm wrong. So right there, if the adjustment is to allow that to be written in print and advertising, which is what it is, then they just admit that that's always been happening. So there, there is nothing off the table for these people. This is why the emergency authorization gets missed sometimes by a few days, meaning that there's a three, four, five day gap where it's an illegal operation. You don't have a you don't have a technical emergency, which means all the emergency use authorization chem- drugs aren't legal. That means the lockdowns aren't legal. That means everything that's being done, well, it doesn't matter though. They just do it five days later and start it again. Doesn't anybody care that they were violating the law? No, apparently not because they're all seemingly involved to some degree. But it says specifically, FDA may grant emergency use authorization if, and these are the, the stipulations that were in existence before this change. You're able to grant this emergency use authorization if, Number one, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, the HHS, has declared a state of emergency. Okay, so that's clear. 
Now, even though that's, and by the way, that's also why they will seemingly keep and maintain a forever state of emergency based on the continued consequences, which is not how it's supposed to work. Because as long as they have that, they can keep this going. But both Biden, Fauci, and numerous others have admitted we're at least no longer in the pandemic phase. Even Biden point blank said we're not in an emergency. But that doesn't matter, apparently, when the president declares it done, apparently. But number two, based on the totality of scientific evidence available, the FDA has reason to believe that, A, the product may be effective in diagnosing, treating, or preventing a serious or life-threatening disease or condition caused by a chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear agent, and that, B, the known potential benefits of the product outweigh the known potential risks. Now, it makes it clearer in this article, but just hear how obvious that is. Not that it is safe and effective, but simply that what we know about the risks outweigh what we know about the benefits. That's it, which is a, which means by definition, we don't know the full picture and they will argue to the death. That's not true right now on Fox and CNN. Maybe because they don't even know that because typically they're the most uninformed people out there. But so the point is right now, even based on what we pretend we know and don't know, that's not being met. No way, shape, or form. It doesn't matter if you want to point back to the original injection and claim that it's not our fault the variants changed it. That doesn't matter, and even if that's not even true, but it doesn't matter. It's the current reality. So right now, based on what their own numbers show, that's not even remotely true. Like, aggressively false. They just pretend like it's the anti-vaxxers' fault or the variants changed it. And that, that's it doesn't matter, though. If you, after a very short period of time, have negative efficacy, there's not even a possible argument on the table. But number three, the most important, as a matter of fact, there are no adequate, approved, or end available alternatives. So is anybody debating that they tell us we've got spike facts and community that have both been approved? Right there, alone, that makes the whole thing invalid. There's no argument against that. Nobody brings it up. This is why I often point these things out about the the flu overlap that they haven't tested if it's safe or the pregnancy conversation where they haven't tested whether it's safe. And yet they out there scream, not that we may not know, but that they know that it is. Do it. Or this kind of example. These things are unquestionable. So I guess we hope that somebody large enough points at it so it actually gets discussed. And then it becomes the breaking story. We finally just exposed that this is X, Y, and Z. And it's like, geez, we've been screaming about this for three years. But at this point, I don't care, right? Jimmy Dore, say it. Tucker, scream about it. Point this out. So somebody realizes that they're caught in a lie. But I argue that won't happen because these are people that are actively acting through a lens, through a filter. No matter how small, they've admitted these things. So these things don't get pointed at until they're allowed to point at them, whether they realize that or not. That's a lot of people out there today. This is clear. There is approved, whether they've been given them or not, examples. There are all alternatives. They pointed Paxlovid. There's no way around it, guys. This is caught. And that's before this change. Now, it says the FDA's abbreviated review for the emergency use authorization as compared to the review necessary for full FDA approval means that FDA does not certify that products granted EUA are safe and effective for their intended use, but rather than products granted EUA may be safe and effective for their authorized use. What's interesting, though, here's like the only example I would argue where this, I still kind of debate uh, take issue with that reading but the way this sentence is written you can argue that this is the only way I think this might actually be allowable like allowable that it's accurate 
what they're saying is FDA's abbreviated review for emergency use authorization as compared to the review necessary for full approval, like in comparison to the first step, whereas that next step would be the entire approval versus the emergency authorization. I can understand that. My point, though, is that they continue to argue that there's a the way that the corporate media re reports on it makes it sound as if there's multiple stages of approval. Anyway, I still take issue with it. I'm just showing you why I think that in, in an English language way kind of makes more sense. But even still, there's only approval and emergency use authorization. That's it. There's no such thing as full approval. Anyway, means that FDA does not certify that products granted are the EUAs are safe and effective for their use. Like, just really hear that. It simply means that there may be, that they may be safe and effective for the authorized use. That's it. And yet they're forcing this on people, knowing that the very definition of the term means that they don't know for sure. It just blows my mind. This is so transparent. Because the evidentiary threshold for obtaining emergency use authorization is much lower than the evidentiary threshold for obtaining FDA approval, Again, right there, they need far less evidence, if any, it seems, to push that. All they need to argue is this is super dangerous, therefore give them whatever we currently have. It just proves to you this is dangerous. But knowing that, that the threshold's far lower, the agency places a number of conditions on authorization in order to protect the public from the potential dangers of a medical product that has not been fully evaluated. Again, the meaning being that it's not fully evaluated if it's been emergency authorized. That's where we are. The point is they have different conditions they point out, some of which are easy to abuse, which is always what happens. But developers of the emergency use authorization products are typically also limited in the types of promotional claims they're permitted to make about the product. This is the crux of the point today. For example, since the beginning of the COVID-19 emergency, CDER has prohibited, that's the group we're talking about, it prohibited developers of COVID-19 drugs like Pfizer and Moderna from representing or suggesting that a COVID-19 drug is safe or effective for its authorized use in any print advertising or promotional materials. Look at that. I mean, how ridiculous. Are we really going to pretend that we haven't seen them state that it's safe and effective in their own? I mean, guys, a tweet would count. And you could maybe debate what we consider promotional material. And that's probably how they pretend. That's, but that's what that is. And yet we've seen it literally everywhere, nonstop. Now, the agency's reasoning has been that any claims of safety or efficacy might suggest to consumers that the product has satisfied the standard for FDA approval, which in part requires that the product is safe and effective for its intended use. And therefore, the public may be misled to believe that the product is FDA approved instead of FDA authorized for use limited to the duration of the emergency. I mean, just think about how gross it is. That, that That is the difference. Where is that being stated to anybody? Anybody. That then, If that's the case, and it is, then they're not meeting informed consent for the 40,000th reason. They're lying to people in every stretch of this argument. We need to start seeing how truly nefarious this is. That doesn't mean every angle, but my God, if we can't see that we, I mean, that's why people like Dr. Yeadon are going so far to be like, this is just straight evil. These people are bad people at some level, knowing they're deceiving you about this. There's really no way around that. So here we are watching them explain that this has not ever been met, that what they're doing is saying, we don't even know for sure, and yelling at safe and effective, forcing that on people, despite none of those things ever being even legally allowed based on where we are. And now all they're doing is, re is reducing the restrictions 
on specifically the promotional part. Key changes. In its memorandum, they have revised its policy to permit developers of, you know, so Moderna, Pfizer, to make certain claims related to safety or efficacy in print, advertising, promotional materials. Well, great. Now they can't. So how much you want to bet they point at this when somebody eventually points back and says, look what they said in 2020. They go, oh, well, it's allowed. Wasn't in 2020. I mean, really, that's the point. If they're doing everything illegal anyway, what does it matter? Because that's really the truth. All of this is based on lies and deception. Safety and efficacy claims made in print, advertising, and promotional materials must be tied to clinical trial data. Well, that's easily not the case in many examples, they say. But the point that Angela made in her tweet is the most important part. Specifically, print, advertising, and promotional materials may only describe safety or efficacy results of clinical trials summarized in the drug's authorized labeling, and such descriptions must include any limitations on the clinical trial data described in the drug's authorized labeling. You know, or a completely blank label, you know, whatever. <laughs> Either one you choose, right? Like we're going to pretend like that's happening at all or ever's been happening? No. They're blatantly lying to people and then putting out blank information and acting like you're too dumb to know what's going on. Despite this slight relaxation of restrictions on drug promotion, which they've already been breaking anyway, the specified drugs are still bound by the rule that applies to all emergency use authorizations. In no event may the print, advertising, or promotional materials claim that the drug is safe and effective for its authorized use as this language is deceptively similar to approval. Well, look at that. So wait a minute. <laughs> so did they literally just admit that they have been lying and still are by accident? Like I, this, obviously this isn't written by the FDA. The point is that this is pe these are people pointing out they just did this. So the action itself has essentially drawn attention to the fact more so than what we've already been screaming about Hopefully more people come to real realize this, that this is in actual, like in real time, a blatant criminal act to act in general. So right now they are still doing that. And even with the relaxation of that rule, they're still saying safe and effective everywhere, not maybe safe and effective. They're saying this is safe and effective. Now, what's interesting is we have seen a lot of examples of them weirdly omitting one or the other. Maybe that's why. It's completely safe. Well, it's safe and effective. Well, you know, I, I, there's legal things. I don't know. At the end of the day, there's no way around this. We're being lied to. They are actively lying to you. And while they're lying to you and they're in an emergency use authorization state, they're still forcing children who are at the least risk and the most risk from the injection. The policy change established in the FDA's memorandum will permit developers of the specific COVID-19 drugs to more freely promote these products. Great. To be sure, aside from avoiding conclusions about safety and efficacy, which is exactly the opposite of what they're doing, and strictly sticking to the approved EUA labeling, FDA, meaning the, the authorized labeling, FDA's approach on what is permissible to promote does not diverge to a large degree from how FDA treats approved drugs. The point is, guys, what they're already doing is already broken this. Aside from avoiding conclusions about safety, so who's under the assumption that they haven't concluded that it's safe and effective? Anybody? Are we pretending they're out there on the news going, it could be safe and effective, we'll find out tomorrow? No, they're saying it is, go get it, and get the flu shot. My God. So here's the actual memorandum if you want to look for yourself. Read it for yourself and understand the source material. Unreal, isn't it? Well, here is one of the experts who's speaking up and has been. This is the older video we showed you back in October. 
and telling you guys as an expert, a cardiologist, highly credentialed, that this is what's happening. And we don't know if it's every single thing under the sun because heart attacks happen before this, apparently. But even then, you could say maybe related to other injections. I don't actually think that's entirely what's going on. But we need to start opening our minds to what could have been happening with other injections with inflammatory aspects to them before this. In either way, heart attacks do happen. So the point is, what he's saying is we know for sure that these things are being is a factor in what we're seeing. The unexplainable excess death, the collapsing athletes, which we were shouted down for all through 2021, is for sure part of this as an expert. So before we go to the absurd comment by this Times writer, even the even writer, I feel bad. I feel like it's not the right word. Let's listen to what he had to say again, just so you remember his comments. It is my duty and responsibility as a consultant cardiologist and public health campaigner to urgently inform doctors, patients, and members of the public that the COVID mRNA vaccine has likely played a significant role or been a primary cause of unexpected cardiac arrests, heart attacks, strokes, cardiac arrhythmias, and heart failure since 2021 until proven otherwise. It's a pretty big statement. Oops. Jumped ahead. Hold on. Where was I? So, as an expert, right? Now, you can you can argue he might be wrong, but this kind of statement is, this encapsulates the entire way, this is the way the corporate media has played this entire thing in a smug, dismissive, childish manner. She responds, it's my duty to inform you that we must assume that my cat has been a factor in all unexpected cardiac arrest, heart attack, strokes, cardiac arrhythmia, and heart failure in the greater Manchester area until proven otherwise. As if that's the same thing he's saying. I, I mean, it, it just it blows, like, as I said, the hubris it must take to type this reply to a highly credentialed cardiologist in response to his well-reasoned and scientifically supported warnings and concern around the COVID jab. The arrogance, the ig- the arrogant ignorance, as uh, Sam uh, Sam Tripoli put it on our last interview. I love that framing. The arrogant ignorance. Spot on. It's just mind blowing. Let her know how you think. Don't don't attack her. Don't become what they are. But chime in. Let her know how ridiculous this is, and give her the source material to see why she's wrong. Now, just in case you were curious, here's some of the tweets that she's had. Talking about vaccine passports are a good idea and all the same things you might expect. The one I thought was real important, you know, as she's screaming about vaccines being, or basically his concerns being ridiculous. She, guess what she got? You know, the dangerous AstraZeneca vaccine that's already been pulled off the market by many governments. But she's right and you're wrong, though. Honestly, my only feeling about it was relief. I mean, these people are just sycophants. At the very, at the very least, she's wrong. And it's been proven to be the case. And this was a statement that was made back in... Uh, 20 October, right? She's wrong and very clearly wrong. And let's get into how truly wrong that she is. Oh, and by the way, here's another, uh, this is a a high level producer or, you know, yeah, a movie, uh, was a producer or director, I forget, but it's just saying I, I, after, um, Dr. Maholta's tweets about that, actually the, the thing we just showed you, or no, we, I'll show you next. Actually, I showed you in the beginning saying, I, for one, will not be taking any more vaccines or encouraging loved ones to, until we know what's actually going on. Raw data needs to be released and below investigated. Exactly. So this is what an, a, a logical person looks like. 
who may have moments ago thought that it was the right thing. But okay, wait a minute. There's something amiss here. And I think this is where most people are right now. People like this are just desperate to be relevant. Hannah just wants to be the one patted on the head by the people who tell her she's right because she says the right things. That's my opinion, obviously. But there are a lot of people that are waking up and have the courage to step away from the agenda. Now, here are just a few examples of how this is clearly happening. This is the most benign one. COVID vaccine. Dancer diagnosed with rare heart condition calls for compensation. Now, as somebody who pointed this out to me said, just take note of how, how many times the word rare is used in this discussion. The bottom line is, I think just for interest of time, the point is this guy will never dance again. High-level dancer. And all these saying, a former ballroom dancer from Kent's called in better compensation for those who have suffered. He's calling for more awareness and compensation of what's happening to people that have taken the vaccine. Maxwell Harrison, who represented Great Britain in international dance competition, said he he's, has to give up his passion after being diagnosed with, guess what, a heart condition. 22-year-old. Very small percentage of people have been medically documented, he says, but they need to be looked after properly. So he's whether he's playing this just to get, the, to get their attention, you know, knowing that they'll ignore him if he says it's everywhere or not, he's, he's basically saying it's super, super, super rare, but you're still ignoring us. So good for him for at least playing this, you know, in a way that we, we, I think he's wrong, but it's harder for them to dismiss that, right? A lot is a law student. He used to travel the world performing for, with his younger sister until he started experiencing heart palpitations after the second jab. Now, he's, this is very important for those out there that might be just starting to feel this. He started getting mild chest pain. He said he thought it was just heartburn. Nothing too serious, but it was then on the ninth or 10th day after receiving the injection that he experienced a cardiac event, right? So if you're out there and you're taking these injections and you're starting to feel something weird, go to the hospital. Don't play around with this because this seems to be popping up everywhere and it only gets worse. Couldn't breathe, extreme pain. Remember the breathing part. We'll show you in a minute. When having breathing problems is a very common problem for these people. I was training for the world championships and even the competition itself. I had to have help paramedics. So I became very clear that very quickly that something wasn't right and wasn't for a very long time. And it was attributed to the second vaccine itself. Oh, dang it. Very good. In any case, the point is, guys, even people that are, are like, I'm super pro vaccine and I'm not saying this, blah, blah, blah. But I was hurt by this. You're an anti-vaxxer. You're a bad person for saying you were hurt by something that you were hurt by. Like, people have become so defensive to the concept that they're attacking people that are actually hurt by this. And I, that's most of them, I argue. But in any case, they're dismissing ones that have truly been hurt and have been diagnosed by a doctor. Now, how does that not show you that this is overtaking everything that's really happening? Now, this is crazy to me. This is a anecdote, anecdotal movie.com, I guess, is the, is the website. It's a movie about people that have been hurt by the injection. Now, this is on YouTube. And it, all it, it, as it says, after 24 hours and a few thousand views, YouTube censored the movie. The note below is, guess what, guys? They violated the medical misinformation policy. Why? Well, because they let people tell them what happened to them. That's all. Take this happened. I took the injection. Had a heart attack. Look at Watch for yourself. Censored. Right? Because real world testimony of people's own experiences is not allowed on YouTube anymore. Like So apparently YouTube doesn't exist anymore. It's all just propaganda, new news media, in, in uh, social engineering, and advertising. No, nothing real, apparently, anymore. But as Dr. Asim Holter points out, he's getting contacted by all sorts of other people suffering with what's called POTS. I'll read it, I'll read it out on the next article. It's a, a heart-related problem. 
And it's, it's specifically, as he's being told by all of his patients, COVID vaccine injury, it's extremely debilitating for them to his colleagues. If there's one cardiologist that has a specialist expertise in managing this condition, uh, let him know. Here's the article. As it says, a debilitating heart condition is linked to COVID and to a lesser degree, the vaccine. It's just so bad how they're playing this game. Right? I mean, I mean, here, just jump, jump the gun. Here's the high-level credentialed, or the high-level, highly credentialed, excuse me, I'm hiccuping, cardiologist has to say. All right, so are we going to trust Berkeley Lovelace Jr., the writer for a compromised corporate media outlet, to tell the, tell us what we should, or should we listen to the person who literally does this for a living, who says headline is incorrect. It should be, and to a greater degree, vaccines. Because he knows what he's talking about. And because the evidence is clear. And they know their talking point is never vaccine first. Always. I mean, even the idea that they include the vaccine in the headline is unprecedented. The point is, postural orthostatic uh, tachycardia syndrome. That's what we're talking about. And the point is that these people are having this after the injection. That's affecting their heart. What else is affecting their heart? We know this is happening. Okay, the point is that all they're going to do is lump it onto COVID. Why? Spike protein. And their argument, why? Well, because we know the spike protein doesn't end up in the blood, right? We know that it doesn't. Yes, it does. We know, we do, in fact, know that those things happen. So all they do is point to the old narrative and say, because we know the things that we've been proven to be false today, therefore, this must be one way. And you read the scientific studies for yourself. Now, we're going to go over some of this today. The point is, these things are happening to the people with the vaccines. If they're also happening with the COVID, if that's even really happening. The point is, if it's happening with COVID because of the spike protein, if that's really what's there, it's a no-brainer that the spike protein in the injection, if that's really what's going on, is in fact worse because it produces more of them and it continues to reproduce in your body, as we've proven left and right. Now, here is why I think this is happening, because we see the problems. We see the heart issues from every possible angle. And now we have this everywhere. Defibrillators to be installed in all schools by the end of next year. Belfast Telegraph, over 130 life-saving defibrillators to be installed all across Northern Ireland. Defibrillators set to be installed across Southwick. Like, are we not? Why doesn't this weird people out? Are we really pretending like that? I mean, they were denying that COVID even had this kind of relationship to the, the heart problems until way into this. And well after we were proving that it was overwhelmingly a side effect with the injection, myocarditis, one to three, uh, 5,000 to 3,500 people. I mean, it's overwhelmingly a problem. And yet we're not going to associate that with the defibrillators that they're putting up everywhere. I mean, it's, it's like them selling Narcan from the same company that sold you opioids and not realizing obviously what's happening. Australia, Melbourne, starting installing defibrillators outside of homes now. Making sure every resident has easy access. I'm not, this is incredible. Every resident now? So every single house in Australia needs a defibrillator? Yeah, totally normal, guys. Wow. And here's the clip we played earlier. For those that didn't tune in the very beginning, let's play it again. Breaking news. A prominent leader of the British Heart Foundation has conspired, according to this member of parliament, to cover up research linking mRNA jabs with heart inflammation. Now, why exactly would that need to be covered up? Brought to my, Madam Deputy Speaker, it's also been brought to my attention by a whistleblower from a very reliable source that one of these institutions is covering up clear data that reveals the mRNA vaccine increases inflammation 
of the heart arteries. They are covering this up in fear that they may lose funding from the pharmaceutical industry. The lead of that cardiology research department has a prominent leadership role uh, with the British Heart Foundation, and I'm very disappointed to say that, that he has sent out non-disclosure agreements to his research team to ensure that this important data never sees the light of day. This, Madam Deputy Speaker, is, is an absolute disgrace. It's everywhere you look right now, guys. I mean, think about how overt this is with the Israeli Ministry of Health being caught on live video saying that they need to cover this up because they're going to be sued. Like, think about the willful ignorance it takes to not recognize what's happening right now. Here's, another, here's on the express.uk. Cover up of COVID vaccine inflaming heart arteries and bombshell claim. Oh, but here's what, here's what CTV News wants you to think. Here's another, here's another check. <laughs> I, I, I gotta, I'm curious what that is. The gold check now. Making another tier. We're living in another tiered society. Increased heart failures, heart failure deaths linked to extreme hot and cold. Great. Let's just jam it all in together, right? Was it hot? Is it cold? It's both of them. Why not? Okay. That's an interesting claim. Seeing as how we're seeing a thousand reasons why it's not just possible linked, but it's like literally verifiably causing this. But the reason, the point though, is that it, we really haven't experienced that much extreme cold, not weather. Yes, some places. I mean, certainly some places have had a little bit above normal or maybe 10 degrees even. Oh my gosh. But the point being is that by and large, you will not see this all around the world. And it's not, I mean, the point is you got excess death almost exactly correlated with the large injection parts, uh, large injection, the mostly injected areas. So you could point out that many of those places didn't have extreme cold or hot weather, but yet they also have a gigantic increase in Heart failures and cardiac arrest and myocarditis. How do you explain that? Well, you damn well know how to explain that. This is a game that's being played, and every moment that they keep this going, more people are being hurt. Just like with Yemen, though. Who cares? It's all about the agenda. Now, here's an interesting thing you might have seen. U.S. sports writer Grant Walsh dies suddenly while covering World Cup in Qatar. Now, this, this, this he's the second one, unless more have happened over the yesterday, journalist that just suddenly dies. Guy was 20-something, right, I believe? Or 30-something? I forget. It's probably right over here. But anyway, the point is, not what you typically expect. The idea that we just have these, you know, even the 60- and 70-year-old actresses and actors we see your reports, oh, he died today. But of what? It's like You read it, there's not even an explanation. It's like, well, even, even the 60s and 70s, like these people just randomly dying and all these, unpre- like, it's obvious there's something going on right now. In this case, we have plenty of people that are dying between, you know, under 50, predominantly just specifically the ones that are 30 let's say or any of those the bottom line people that wouldn't normally be having heart attacks or unexplainable deaths and we just keep shoving under the rug even though you have experts like maholter and plenty of others and you know the work of the last american vagabond proving it to you for the last two and a half years bottom line though this is what they're saying about this because it's now been released afterward oh first of all just in case it was unclear he was injected Here's a way back machine of one of his tweets. My, I, I favorite anyone on my timeline who gets vaccinated. Okay, just so we're clear on that. Not as, as if it was a question about him working for these companies and traveling and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so that did happen. So now they admit that he had a, an aneurysm. A specific kind, in fact. December 14th, this is from today. Grant Wall suffered an aneurysm. An undetected ascending aortic aneurysm 
with hemopericardium. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? While attending the game. Well, this is what they're saying. He died undetected. So it was there before. It wasn't what you think it was. That's You can almost feel that in the beginning of this article. And then the third paragraph. Quote, Grant died from a rupture of a slowly growing, undetected, ascending aortic aneurysm with hemopericarditum. Pericardium. This is his, his wife, apparently. And I, it's, you know, it's sad. She should, it's sad that she has to go through this. She wrote in a post on her Substack, quote, the chest pressure he experienced shortly before his death may have represented the initial symptoms. No amount of CPR or shocks would have saved him. His death was unrelated to COVID. His death was unrelated to vaccine status. There was nothing nefarious about his death. That's weird. It's weird, right? I mean, that's weird. This is either them feeling like they're heading off the conspiracy theorists, which is usually what this is. But but in, in you know, but by doing so, stating things that you can't possibly know. How do you know it wasn't COVID? How do you know it wasn't vaccine status? How do you know there's nothing nefarious? Because this has just happened. Now, yes, there's an autopsy, but the point is they're the ones that often make these points and say, well, we don't know. The autopsy rarely finds that you can prove vaccine side effect. Well, let, let me make, go through some data to show you how irresponsible it is for anybody in the corporate media to allow this to go out as a fact. Oh, and the point, by the way, he apparently collapsed in a media room, right? So not in some hot, overheated area, but inside of a cooled media room. Just so that's clear. Okay. What is an ascending aortic aneurysm? This is, that's not the point. This, I wanted to, this is just an article that says that, but the point was what it says here. It also added fuel to conspiracies that COVID-19 vaccinations cause people to die suddenly. So this came out today, guys. So understand, they just released today that it was an aneurysm, right? So all they're saying is a sudden death uh, was suggested was uh, was his sudden death initially caused Wall's brother Eric Wall to suggest foul play was involved. It also added fuel to conspiracies. The fact, like it's just it's such a ridiculous thing to say. So, genuine concern that there may have been a problem, or genuine concern that an injection that you have at least admitted is possible to or, to is is one of the possible, if not super rare, side effects would be something just like this. It's unjustified to even point it out. Like, it's so over the top that you can see that that shit. I mean, this is how you cover up a story in a very clumsy fashion, I would argue. But Wall's autopsy suggests both are unlikely, which, in case you're confused about the English language, means they don't know either. It means that it seems unlikely, but possible. According to Wall's wife, the autopsy showed he died from a slowly growing, undetected, ascending aortic aneurysm with hemopericardium. The aorta is a large artery that goes from the heart to the abdomen. It's the main, it's the heart's main artery that can carry a lot of blood to the rest of the body. Okay. So all that being said, we don't know for sure. Anybody honest should point that out. Because one, these things tend to be dealt with in very cryptic fashion after the fact. So you never, which is their prerogative. It's their family. Do what you want. But then the point is we have a right to say, well, it could have been this. But the bottom line is they don't know. They don't even seemingly want to know. But here's what we do know. eHealth Me. This is a recent one. Pfizer Biotech COVID vaccine. And none other than aortic aneurysm rupture. A phase four clinical study of CDC and the FDA data. So not some fringe thing, but directly from the CDC and the FDA data that they took themselves. Aortic aneurysm rupture is found among people who get the COVID Pfizer injection. 
The phase four clinical study analyzes which people get Pfizer, biotech, COVID vaccine and have aortic aneurysm rupture. It is created by this, this uh, basically this platform, which breaks these reports down. And they had 401,887 people who had side effects when getting Pfizer, biotech, COVID vaccine, according to the CDC and the FDA. Six of them had aortic aneurysm ruptures. Total fake news, though, right? This is just one study. Now, what's interesting is under the people that recovered, apparently none of them. Great. We're talking about just this one thing. But on top of that, they just include some other common side effects besides aortic aneurysm rupture, right? So apparently that's enough to be called common, but it's all fake news, though. Breathing difficulty. 33% of the people of the 408,000 people suffered breathing difficulty after the injection. That's not a small thing, guys. And the bottom line is we just pointed out that's one of the precursors to what happened to one of the individuals we just talked about having this exact same problem. Or not exact same, excuse me, but it was the, which one was it? Oh, the, the, uh, this guy right here, this one. What's this? Wait, I forget. I don't want to search it out. Anyway, the point was we just point, we discussed the breathing difficulties. I think it's a big deal. So that's just one. Let's go to the next one. March 2022. So, you know, old. They probably just missed it in their research. Intracranial aneurysm rupture within three days after receiving mRNA anti-COVID vaccination. Now, yes, it's not the same exact thing, but we're talking about the same mechanism. There's plenty of these out there. April 2022. Aneurysm after mRNA anti-COVID vaccination. Here's a, here's a, here's a local one. WSAU. Local woman suffers brain aneurysm after receiving the experimental injection. August 18th, 2021. Now, this is brain aneurysm, right? It's different, but we're talking about the same concept. And all these things have been shown to be possible with the thing that destroys your immune system and your bloodstream, apparently. And you're, you know, causing blood clots and heart attacks and all the things we've talked about. Here's another one. This one's from North Carolina. Mom died from massive brain aneurysm two days after getting Johnson & Johnson. April 16th, 2021. April 2021, fatal cerebral hemorrhage after COVID-19 vaccine. So it's not even, we're not, you know, it's getting far more and more removed, but we're talking about same problems. Like the fact that any of this is on the table and repeatedly shown to be a possibility, and yet we are going to act like that's not even possible. It's willful ignorance, guys. December 2021, post-COVID-19 vaccination occurrence of splenic infarction due to arterial thrombosis. Virginia woman, July 2021, has massive brain bleed from COVID vaccine. Now, here's an interesting one. Here's how they try to deviate, to push this over into being only COVID as opposed to the injection. But don't forget, well, they said it wasn't COVID for sure. Why? Because he got the injection and we know it stops it. No, it doesn't. My point is it's probably just, they're just telling you what they want to say. COVID-19 spike protein, this article writes, cause, could cause blood vessel leaks, possible organ failure. Okay, we're talking about aneurysm, blood vessel leak. Interesting. Well, what does it have to say? Let's read the study. Let's go right past the repackaging of it and look at what the study says. December 9th, 2022. SARS-CoV-2 spike triggers barrier dysfunction and vascular leak. Well, where else are we putting spike proteins in the body? Well, here's the point about this study in particular. Is what are they finding? That it's just the spike protein. This almost lines up with the Salk Institute discussion. About how... Spike protein alone causes disease. This whole study proves the spike protein by itself causes disease, which means that it causes symptoms, which can be spread and caught and continued. 
just the spike protein. So when you're giving somebody something that creates instructions to teach their body how to make that spike protein and how to keep making it, which is what we've already proven, how it continues to go around the bloodstream, Dr. Ryan Cole, Dr. Peter McCullough have made this very clear. Then you have the problem here where it could be causing this exact same thing. It says, we report that cell intrinsic interactions between spike glycoprotein of SARS-CoV-2 and epithelial endothelial cells are sufficient to induce barrier dysfunction in vitro and vascular leak in vivo independently of viral replication and the ACE2 receptor, meaning just the spike protein, however it can find its way into your body by itself can cause this problem. So yeah, go ahead and give me the shot that teaches my body how to make those things. Sounds good, right? Here's the main point. However, although we observe significant vascular leak in mice administered spike alone, like just the spike protein, they do not overtly display signs of morbidity. Importantly, our findings suggest that the amounts of spikes circulating in patients following COVID vaccination are too low to trigger vascular leak, given that our phenotype requires levels that mimic the levels observed during severe COVID-19 cases. Taken together, our study and available literature indicates the S-mediated vascular leak would not result from COVID vaccination. Right? So their point is, therefore, is not correlated with the vaccines. So you know why they say that? And please read the whole study. Well, because, of course, it doesn't go in your bloodstream. Of course, it doesn't. It doesn't. It only makes one. It stops. It stays in your shoulder. It's the same game. That's not true. Now, there, if, there's a debate. I, I, I think even Dr. McCullough is disputing about whether or not it's enough to cause a problem, which is the crux of the point here. Too low to trigger this problem. But I argue if it keeps producing them, which plenty of people have proven, that it, it would logically make sense that it would build up and become a problem after, I don't know, a week, a month, two weeks. I mean, what we keep seeing, that a month, two months down the line, people suddenly have heart attacks. The point is, this is exactly part of what I think is happening. That the S protein, the spike protein is continuing to be made. You, can, you get more injections that sp- spur it up even further, and it gets worse and worse and worse. It builds and it circulates your bloodstream, and this is what's happening. Now, if the the COVID-19 is really something that's there, then I would argue, sure, that could cause this same problem too, but to a lesser degree. Because I argue, and this is my opinion, that the levels observed during COVID cases are, are, it's, it's, it's more than that over a period of time with multiple injections. That's what I would argue. Now, I want to play the, the, a discussion of, uh, between Dr. Del Bigtree and Dr. Ryan Cole about the mechanisms of this injection itself, just to make this as clear as possible. This is Dr. Ryan Cole, Microbiology Lab of Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, and Moderna vaccines. So again, you're taking at face value that the two of them... Now, I I argue that they do have this in the the actual uh, articles and stuff they put out, but I'm just showing you the tweets. The point being that they are saying they have vials from these locations. All right, so in Europe, that's... you. I will always question whether that is the case, whether that something could have gone wrong with those, you know, any along the process or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Those are all just being, being irritatingly objective. I get it. The point, though, is that we don't know. So that's one of the things to take at face value. But going forward, here's what they have to say. All right. Well, you know, as promised, part of, you know, behind all of this, we do know that COVID, the virus itself, and the spike protein are capable of these things. But what's actually in the vaccines? Dr. Ryan Cole was able to secure uh, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, and Moderna vaccines so that we could take a look at them. Um, Let's take a look at what we found. 
we're going to go to the microbiology lab, and we have a clean HEPA-filtered hood in there that's sterile, and we'll pop the vaccine vials under that hood, go ahead and put some of the contents on the slides, cover slip them, and then you and I can look at them under the microscope. Okay. All right, so we're going to set these aside and let them thaw. And we will go grab the J&J. &J. I have those in my office. Okay. Those are kept at room temp. Great. I always point this out. I don't know how that makes any sense at all. When you're going back to the mix and match ridiculousness, one's kept at room temperature, one's kept cold. Different measurements, different amounts. But yeah, just take one and then get the other. No big deal. <laughs> all scientifically sound, right? Not at all. So this is Johnson & Johnson. Yep. Right now we're on to about 2,000x magnification. See, there's our little wigglers. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just typical. That's just fluid flowing. There's an electrostatic charge when you get down to particles that small. What about this hairy looking thing there? Uh, that's a really good question. When you ramp something up this fast, you know, how much debris do you get in the manufacturing process? And that's a good question. Is it, you know, gasket debris? See, that looks like a glass shard to me. Yeah. So, like, I get we're looking at, like, at a microscopic level, but I don't want shards of glass moving right, through my bloodstream right. and my heart and everything else. How pure are these? There's no guarantee. And I know from, you know, Japan rejecting you know, millions of Moderna vials, uh, impure. These are ramped up at warp speed. We know. Um, it usually takes many years to get a drug product safely to market with pure manufacturing. We look earlier last year in 21, the European Medicines Agency, you know, they were getting vials that were only 50, 55% pure. So you're getting fragmented RNA instead of the full sequence, you know, to make whatever it's supposed to be making. Do you want a pure product in your body or not? So you saw we did that under a, a laminar flow hood, HEPA filtered, so very clean environment. But even by the time that I brought those slides to here, you saw there was some dust particles on the cover slip. Yeah. So when one's doing microscopy of, of certain types, that's why you have to be very careful and then know what you're looking at um, without jumping you know, to conclusions that may be you know, off the beaten track. And that, Is that like one of the you know, adenovirus? Breakers? That probably contains uh, thousands of particles of adenovirus just really? in that one little, well, maybe hundreds. Oh maybe hundreds, just in that one little floating particle going by, you know, that's, that's the carrier. For J&J's application of the FDA, there's trace human protein, trace human DNA. And now those proteins, that would be aborted. Fetal cell so. fragments, yeah. Right, and so this is something they deny, right? They deny outright that that's the, it's in the process, but not in the actual injections. And so right there, if you, if you believe them, which I, I, I believe that they know what they're talking about, right? And so the bottom line is if that's there as a religious exemption, you have every right. By the way, you have a right to, exempt, to say no to this regardless, always, no matter what. But the idea that they're turning down religious exemptions because it's not true. I mean, the, everything about this is dishonest. I mean, we really need to start recognizing that. Yeah. And if I put my protein in you, you're going to have an immunologic reaction to that because proteins from different people are immunogenic in other people. And that's why when you go to the blood bank, they're trying to match as perfectly as possible your blood to someone else's blood because 
blood cells even have tons of different proteins on their surface, red blood cells. So you have to match protein group to protein. There's knowingly trace proteins that can be immunogenic, causing an immunologic reaction. Take a peek at Moderna here. Interesting, some of those particles are a little more elongated. Those should be the, the lipids containing, you know, thousands upon thousands of particles of mRNA sequence. But I don't know what those rod forms are. And that looks more like a debris-like particle to me. Um, and again, it's not mineral. Um, but yeah, they're clumping around a piece that's on there. And again, if I go up and down, it looks like we may be looking at it on edge, like it's more of a sheet instead of a rod. Mm -hmm. um, and again, so that goes to the question of what other carrier agents are in here besides lipid. We sent some of these off for analysis and it'll be interesting to see. So here we have Pfizer. This is, we did two vials. This is uh, the first lot. It's interesting, these look even a little tinier than the Moderna did by a little bit. Now this is interesting right here, okay, just like we saw with the other. Some of them are more elongated, yeah. a bunch of particles sticking to another particle in there. Yeah. Not quite as rod-like as the other that we were saying, oh, there's one. Um, okay, let's there. Yeah, that one, yeah. And again, there's another one floating by up there, kind of in a sheet. You saw it in Moderna. We're seeing it now in the Pfizer, these sort of rods or sheets. You know, is it a chemical of some sort bonding together? You and I, well, I brought it up. I said, I wonder if that could be a graphene sheet, because they're two-dimensional sheets, a graphene oxide sheet. Sort of like the images that uh, I've been seeing. So I'm really looking forward to the mass spectrometry. Yeah. Seeing what that's a big claim, right? And this this is the kind of thing we ended up with last time, right? And so we get to the point to where they're they, they they're finding a lot of people. Catherine Austin Fitz has pointed this out. A lot of other researchers pointed this out, and they they end up coming to a point where they think it could be. And I, I have yet to see the definitive point about graphene actually being what they find. I believe this is part of it. I really do. And I've thought this for a while in the context of how obvious it is. It's been something discussed for a long time about the next step, but. Just because I do, just because I haven't yet been convinced that it's been proven that we found it, doesn't mean that I don't believe that this is something that's happening. Like I think it's very obvious this is a game that's being played. But again, the objectivity tends to be called the opposite when we, you know, it's the extremist when you're in the two party paradigm. But it's very interesting, and I think this is a very big problem because what this is being presented as is the next step of like the nano, the um, this you know what is it? The I'm blank on the term. Uh, the self forming i'm blanking on the term all of a sudden in any case the point of that these things are you know the self enabling i forget it now but that these things can be influenced from the outside right there can be energy directed at these things to make them respond a certain way i mean this is not my opinion guys there's all sorts of of medical research about exactly this step in regard to using graphene oxide graphene hydroxide for specifically vaccine technology and yet you bring this up and you're called a lunatic which speaks, this says a lot, right? So the fact that they're saying they see this, or at least that it looks like that, or it could be, I'm going to follow along with them to see if he feels like he's proven this, because it's a big deal.
And again, I will stand by my claim. I said right in the beginning of this, which was always taken out of context and misrepresented by people that were aggressive about it right in the beginning, which I think is part of the game, that that first thing that Whitney and I looked at, I did not feel sold by that. In fact, I felt there was a lot in there that was a little bit too loose for me, sort of like with the recent Died Suddenly documentary, which I'm pretty convinced was intended to be manipulative just based on how, at the very least, it was just poorly done. Not to say there was not a lot of great content that was very true in there, but it was mixed up with a lot of things that were allowing it to be debunked. Makes me very unhappy. Even people like Cole and others have been spoken. I've kind of said that they're the way that we were represented in that doc was not really right. Either way, the bottom line is, that I was, I feel still strongly that that was put out the way it was in the beginning so that it could be dismissed, likely because it is actually in there. Right? But this, that kind of idea doesn't resonate with the two party staunch, already made my mind up opinions. Right? That's usually how this goes. So I'm glad to see this being fleshed out. What that looks like. Wow. I mean, it was, um, what was what I think just very generally speaking, as we looked at all the different vaccines, I think the one of the conclusions that we came away with is it's just a hodgepodge. I mean, there were vaccines that seemed like they had no particles or anything, almost nothing there. It was almost like a saline shot. And sometimes we even had multiple. I think we had a couple of different Pfizer's and then the other one would be just packed with all sorts of, of things. And you just get this sense that the manufacturing of this is totally and completely inconsistent. I agree 100% with that. And and you and I looked at it together. Some were more concentrated, some were less. And and that goes to the point, where are these being made? Right. Is the FDA inspecting each facility? Yeah. No. And these are being made around the world. And they were ramped up so quickly. And it, it is not good manufacturing process, especially something this quickly. And, and this Grabbing another video really quickly that I want to play that kind of dovetails off of this. It's another statement that that he made, and it explains kind of what he's talking about right there around the idea that these are like the lipid, the, the lipids in general end up changing and the mRNA goes away. And it basically creates something that turns out to ultimately be not problematic. And that's a lucky thing that they got that right. It's interesting. Check this out. Oh, hold on. Forgot I have to remove. Got too many videos up. Here we go. A lot of people dodged a bullet and a potential harm is when people lined up in stadiums or outside and had these vaccination clinics, these vials weren't kept cold and those fats turned into a glob of mush and the RNA broke down into nothing. So you got a shot of mush, which you're lucky, very lucky because it wasn't kept cold. And so the other thing, too, is each vial from different lots is not the same concentration. When you stir lipid nanoparticles, polyethylene glycol, and mRNA sequences, you can't agitate it quickly. But when that happens, the lipids kind of float to the top. Now you have thousands of vials going across an assembly line, you know, you know spitting out the content. And the first couple thousand vials get a very dilute solution. You're not getting a lot of dose of mRNA or, or lipid. But then at the end of that batch, now you have some very concentrated lipid and mRNA. So in each manufacturing run of this very poor manufacturing process, which has lots of debris and lots of vials and all these heebie-jeebies and creepy things, are mostly manufacturing debris. 
And that's, again, what some of the mass spec we've looked at has shown. You know, it's from stainless steel vats, it's from aluminum seals, it's from gaskets, et cetera, it's from crushed glass. A good manufacturing process in a drug development um, process takes years, like five, six, seven, eight, nine years, until you have a product pure enough that you can repeat every single time that it comes off the line that it's the same thing. You saw in that early European medicine agency last year, 50% pure. This is what it looks like to rush things out for your safety, right? As if that's actually what was happening, right? But that's my point, though, right? At, at best, if that was actually what they were doing, I don't buy that. That's what it looks like. Let's hurry up and do things in dangerous fashion for your safety. <laughs> well, there you go. Guess what you get? Dangerous things that aren't safe for your safety. It's just, it's, it's literally counterintuitive. But as Brooke points out, and what do we get? We get laughed at for being guinea pigs by the former president. Pushing more people into the test group. And we, I think we've already played this clip, but I think it's really important to hear again. As she writes, the risk-benefit ratio is weighted so we take the risk and the DOD reaps the benefits. But listen to what he says here, guys. He's using the point that you've been tested on as the reason that this is safe. First of all, realize how dumb that is because what that means is that you didn't know and that using it on us was to find out and then arguing that what we now see means safe, even though what we see is catastrophic. And what you just heard were the doctors and the experts and scientists talking about this. But here's Obama telling you that you were the experiment and that's why it's safe. And yet, despite the fact that we've now essentially clinically tested the vaccine on billions of people worldwide, Around one in five Americans is still willing to put themselves at risk and put their families at risk rather than get vaccinated. Is that what's happening? How exactly are you putting your family at risk by taking something that doesn't stop something from king caught or spread? Explain that. Right. So lessening my severity, which is not even what this does. I mean, I think that's so far out the window, but that's the argument. Lessening, lessening my death and hospitalization. How does that protect them? Yeah, go ahead. I'll wait. Like, it's just so ridiculous. These people are holding on to a narrative that has been debunked 14 different ways since 2020. Stays in your arm? No, it doesn't. Doesn't go in the blood? Yes, it does. Doesn't produce more than one? Yes, it does. Right? It lasts this long? No, it doesn't. 90% effective? Nope, doesn't work. No side effects? Oh, they're all over the place. I mean, what isn't shown to be false at this point? And this was immediately, it's not because Delta or Omicron are unvaccinated. It's been, it was immediately shown to be a lie from the beginning. Not every single thing, but we've proven them one by one as we've gone forward. And I do mean proven. People are dying because of misinformation. Aha. And there's your crux. That is what they're getting at. That your words are killing people. They're willing to, I guess, just stand up on the house of cards that's already fallen and act like they're making sense just to get that point across. Self-assembling. Thank you. Somebody put it in the chat. I couldn't self. What did I say? Enabling <laughs> self-assembling nanotechnology. I don't know why I can remember that, but that's what graphene is. And now they're way past the point <laughs> but, or what it would be discussed as in these contexts of the injections. But here's another example. Right. Of these people yelling at you that you're doing the wrong thing while telling you to do the thing that will likely get you killed or could. Here's a pediatrician. You know, because we know how high level pediatrician experts know about vaccine technology. Right. I'm here to assure you of the safety of the covid-19 vaccine in children, he says. In children. 
Here's a pediatrician. I'm not saying I'm not trying to diminish. For all we know, he's the most educated doctor on the planet. But as a pediatrician, I would argue, even if he's a pediatrician cardiologist, that there are people that know far more about him that we've already pointed at that have been speaking about this and studying this explicitly. But we're going to point that here as somebody who's towing the line. Because you know what? You know why? He's wrong. Unequivocally wrong. They're not safe for children. They're not safe for most people, as plenty of people have spoken up and pushed back about. Entire governments, entire ministries of health, people that were once on their side. And children, by the way, even if it was working for them, are at 0.0003% risk. That's the facts by the recent studies and even by the Oxford calculator. They're not in danger. But you're going to give them something that gives them a 1 in 3,500 risk of myocarditis along with all the other super rare side effects in a huge gigantic pile that makes them no longer rare at all, even though they're not rare in, independently? Okay, listen to what he has to say. Somebody, you know, I, man, I'm not going to be mean. Oh, right, because he has, his, he has his mask on before standing alone before a camera because it's not fake at all, right? Kia ora. My name is Dr. Brian Mitchelson, and I'm one of the children's heart specialists at Starship Children's Hospital. I'm here to assure you of the safety of the COVID-19 vaccine in children and young people. The COVID-19 vaccination currently being used in New Zealand is safe and effective. We have not had any children... Wait a minute. Is it, did he say maybe safe and effective or did he say it is safe and effective? Oops. So apparently this guy doesn't even read FDA documentation. Apparently he doesn't even care because you're supposed to say that, right? Admitted to Starship with heart complications related to the COVID-19 vaccine. Wow. We know that around the world, a very small percentage of people have had heart inflammation or myocarditis after receiving the vaccine. I mean, even their current data says one in 10,000, which as if that's supposed to be something that's not a big deal, right? So you've given millions and billions of shots around the world and one in 10,000 is not concerning. You know, especially since they said it was not even real when this first started. I mean, think about how ridiculous that is. But the reality of the most recent studies show it's about one in 5,000 to one in 3,500 risk of myocarditis, which, by the way, even with non-serious cases, increases their risk of mortality over the next 10 years by about 55 or excuse me, 25 to 56 percent. That's according to the NIH. So you're going to give a child that doesn't need this, it isn't in danger, something that could potentially increase their mortality by 50 percent. Makes sense, right? And I understand this would be very worrying for you as a parent. What I want you to know is that around the world, this has affected a very small percentage of people in this way. Fake news. And most of these cases have been very mild. Not true. The risk of young people developing heart inflammation if they catch COVID-19 is far, far greater. I mean, why does he think that he knows all of these things, right? Because he's a doctor? No, because he's read what he's been given. Right. And when you actually read with a critical eye the things that he's pointing at, you'll find very quickly that it's not actually an entire picture. In fact, you'll find blatantly that they'll cherry pick a study from 2020, even though there's been a body of evidence that's overwhelmingly shown that that first statement was wrong. But it doesn't matter, though, because CDC said. And this guy is clearly towing the line. I mean, you can almost see him reading what's in front of him. This is ridiculous. It's everywhere. People are just never a shortage of people with, you know, moral ambiguity that are willing to step in and toe the line. Or even more so dangerously today, somebody with an overzealous perception of how they're supposed to be telling other people what they should be doing, 
usually people that were picked on in school, and then ends up, come, ends up becoming this high-minded perspective of how you're wrong because I know I'm right. And none of that has to do with what's morally sound, what's right for the kids. It's about proving, like the New Zealand child, that you're right and they're wrong at the cost of their life. Here's the FIDSA saying, strongly recommending that all children from six months or older get the shot because it's safe and effective, right? You have to account not only for the time that it takes to take every single booster and regimen shot, but also the two weeks after you're finished. Wow. Okay, so now apparently it takes, what, a month? Or no, that would be almost, it would be over two months until you're considered vaccinated. That's what she just said. Because you're not, it doesn't work until you get the first, the two weeks, the second, the two weeks, and the third, the week, and then the fourth, and then the, as long as you get that all in a row, and then you're protected. What about the new BQ8? Well, don't worry about that. Just get the four shots, and we'll force the next one on you tomorrow. It's obscene that these people continue to act like that makes any sense at all. What's the science between pretending like you're not safe until you get the newest version of the thing that verifiably is not even relevant to the current strain going around? I mean, ask yourself why, if they're telling you the bivalent was the thing that helps you in the moment that you needed to get shot one, two, and three before you got the fourth that weren't made for the right thing. That's why they made the fourth. So you need the first three to make the fourth work? No, not at all, based on everything they tell you. So why did they push that then? This is madness. And these people, if she's saying this, is either a liar or too stupid to know she's being used. Every single booster and regimen shot, but also the two weeks after you're finished. So if your goal is to have your child ready and protected for school, you have to start as soon as possible to make sure that you've given it enough time for the immune system to build up that protection. Wow. Oh, so even kids that have natural immunity that is stronger based on every scientific study you could point at than what you're telling them comes in that injection that destroys their immune system, comes along with gigantic side effects, increases their myocarditis risk to a dangerous level, and then doesn't protect them. How does that make sense? Right? COVID-19 is not a risk to these kids. But now you're telling them who have got this and then gotten better and has natural immunity, if that's actually what's happening, that they need an injection that destroys that immunity based on everything else we've seen. I mean, it's just painful that I, we keep having to go through these arguments. And your COVID-19 vaccine, you're going to want to listen to this. The Red Cross says anyone who has received their COVID-19 vaccine cannot donate convalescent plasma to help other COVID-19 patients in hospitals. That plasma is made up of antibodies from people who have recovered from the virus, but the vaccine wipes out those antibodies, making the convalescent plasma ineffective in treating other COVID-19 patients. Yes, if your child had COVID, you still want them to be vaccinated. The immunity you get from a prior infection with COVID is often not protective against new variants. Fake news. Fake news. Like, if we just want to grab just the one, I think it's how we could grab, you know, I don't know, 17 different studies we've shown you over and over and over and over and over since 2020. The NIH, the WHO, Science, Science Mag, Journal of Medicine. I mean, every single one of them have said the exact same thing. Here's just the most in one spot digestible and easy to understand. Ultra potent antibodies against diverse and highly transmissible SARS-CoV-2 variants. Conclusion, our study demonstrates the convalescent subjects who people have gotten sick 
recovered, produce antibodies that cross-neutralize emerging variants of concern with high potency. This includes Omicron. I've shown you studies post-Omicron that show you the same point. And yet, all they're going to say is what they're told to say. And that um, a prior infection with COVID is often not protective against new variants. And that immunity from a prior infection also wanes. So- also not true. Lasting, durable, and robust, according to every single study we've shown you. Science specifically said lasting, durable, and robust. Even the NIH found that it lasted the eight months the entire study went on. So what exactly are you pointing at when you say it might wane? Oh, the vaccine. And their argument is, well, the vaccine wanes, so then natural can't be better. Yes, it obviously is. That's always how it's been and verifiably shown to be the case. I just can't stand these people just sit there and say what they're probably actors for all we know. They're probably not even doctors. I don't know. I'm just I just it's just absurd that we just people. Oh, white lab coat. Great. So Zelensky's got a green shirt on. He must be real. We strongly recommend that even if your child has previously had COVID even more than once, that that child still get vaccinated. All right, so you can remove those antibodies so they can get sick. Perfect, right? Free for everybody, except you pay for them by your tax. For kids, just like they've been for adults, COVID-19 vaccines are free. They are totally 100% free. Children can get vaccinated against COVID-19 at their pediatrician's office, at many pharmacies, and then children's hospitals are also a good site to get your child vaccinated against COVID. It is so important that we take this illness seriously and that we give children the opportunity to be protected and to go about their lives and live their normal childhoods. Right. And that means to give them something that alters their life forever and make them wear a mask that suppresses their. I mean, it's just silly that we're pretending like what they're asking and talking about is normal. Be, oh, wait, you know why? Because that's your new normal. I forgot that is the new normal. Yes. No, I guess we weren't paying attention. Right. As Jay Wilderness, point, Jay Wilderness points out, scientism, the NWO religion, determines that humans shouldn't procreate. Funny how that works. Ask these sadistic freaks where they derive their mor- morality from and watch their heads explode science proves kids are bad for earth gee maybe that overlaps with their aggressive push to give them something they know isn't safe for them hmm that's interesting way to look at it well here's another clip from dr ryan cole pointing out these placentas are the wrong size for the gestational age they are calcified they have spike protein and induced excess inflammation so maybe it goes a little bit before the kids maybe it's just about general life on this planet i don't know you tell me these are placentas coming from obstetric colleagues around the country. These placentas are the wrong size for the gestational age. These placentas right. are calcified. These placentas have spike protein in them. These placentas right. have antibodies in them. These pl- so if, if you have a placenta with spike protein in it, let's pretend like it's still a small amount that's not enough to hurt you, right? That it gets so far translated. The, the point is, I believe this is enough and continuing to be made that this becomes a problem. For anything, everybody involved, the, the you know, and again, whether you're a blood donor or whether you're having a baby or whether it's your own body, it's continuing to get worse. Placentas have induced excess inflammation in them. This particular one is from a nurse, hospital, eight months pregnant, required to get the jab to keep her job very shortly thereafter, unfortunately, intrauterine fetal demise. I know you guys talked to a couple other colleagues that went over that kind of mm-hmm. data. Mm. fetal demise and and scotland's just ignoring it because vaccine hesitancy of course that makes sense right here's the medical director your odds are worse dying in a car accident than having a bad reaction to covid19 
Now, here's what's interesting about that. Car accidents are like wildly common. It's like one in a hundred. I think it's like nine. I think it was 0.99. It was just under 1% is the odds. If you get a car accident, but you got like a 1% chance of having a car accident where you die. It's really high. But what's interesting about that is just a study I'm not going to go over today that everyone's laughing about, and rightly so, that say that you're more likely to get in a car accident if you're unvaccinated just because you're more dangerous and like you're you have less concern for safety. You're just such a garbage study. But this is just an interesting overlap with that that I'm not going to get into today. But what she's saying here is also just not true. The idea, like what they're basically saying, that having a bad reaction from a COVID vaccine, the idea, I mean, think about the, what, is, what do you mean by bad? First of all, there's a lot of real world problems that are happening on this that they might consider the over like Bell's palsy, seizures, ongoing things forever that they don't associate with the injection. The point is, guys, to argue that this is, that you're very the likelihood of getting a COVID side effect is rare is just plainly false. All they're doing is ignoring everything that's happening in Bayer's and acting like it's unverified. Therefore, we know it's not dangerous. How do you how do you possibly have the nerve to say you know it's not dangerous when you're pointing at something you then say is unverified? Everything about this is dishonest. Now, here is the actual point about not just the majority. This is the point that you make when somebody goes. The majority is misrepresenting the facts because most people are vaccinated. So therefore, the majority would be people dying would be vaccinated. It's not an invalid point, but it's a misrepresentation. Because as I've been showing you since 2021, the risk per 100,000, which is what they censored to hide that from you in the UK data, was also higher. Here's the same point. We, and we already made this the other day. Analysis shows 26% worse mortality among the vaccinated. Not the percentage, not the, the grouping, but if you're vaccinated, you have a 26% higher mortality rate, period. And that's what the data shows. And they just don't want you to see that. We asked us to show just the one chart that tells the entire story. This is that chart. Um, the UK government, until this summer, was reporting a data series that showed the relative mortality rates for the vaccinated and unvaccinated by the number of doses of the vaccine. We've done what we think is really professional work with this, and we think it simplifies down to a conclusion that says that through the last available data set, the people in the UK who took the vaccine have a 26% higher mortality rate. The people who are under the age of 50 who took the vaccine now have a 49% higher mortality rate. And worst of all, um, the people who only took one dose of the vaccine have approximately 145% dose uh, worse mortality rate. God, think about that. Like, I mean, I almost find that hard to believe. But my God, if you look at what's happening, so you've got one shot, which there's a lot of people out there that have got one shot. You're in the worst position. This is likely why they're so desperate to get those people with their continual boosters to maybe just stretch this out as long as possible. Because they're clearly still having a risk of death. So they're and they're obviously clearly dying when, nine, when the vast majority of people dying right now are vaccinated. And their risk of mortality is higher. So that destroys their argument about, oh, it's just the majority, therefore that makes sense. But even that doesn't, though. At best, that shows you it's benign. This shows you they're, in fact, hurting themselves. That last data point is on its face confusing, especially because it seems like there's more and more, to, you know, it just doesn't make a ton of sense unless you realize 
that what's going on with this really is that the people who took the dose, the first dose, in the United States that's about 12% of people, but then stopped taking any other doses. Those people, through their choice to stop, disproportionately the ones who were harmed. And so what we're concluding is that if you happen to be an unlucky person who was in some fashion even moderately injured, minor, with a minor injury, you decided not to continue, the statistics, the best statistics we have, show that you're gonna have, at least through today, maybe it'll get better, you know, and obviously we're all here because we're hoping to find treatments and cures and screening and interventions, you know, but if that doesn't happen, we have to assume that this is now the baseline, there's going to be 145% higher mortality. And if you were to take these numbers and just apply them to the United States, that ends up being something like 600,000 excess deaths per year in the United wow. States from this higher vaccine-induced mortality. And, you know, that... Now we'll get into the excess death next. That's exactly what we're seeing. That's, that's obviously a really concerning thing, and we're, I'm, I'm happy you called the meeting, and I, I'm, I know we're all hoping to get to answers. Thank you. And again, I thought that statistic on single dose was pretty interesting because, let's face it, every, just about everybody knows somebody who took, a, you know, the first dose and had a severe reaction, they're not going to take the second one. So, And so that's what's interesting right there, right, is that ultimately it could be sort of a misleading statistic, not in the way you might think, but that like what he described there, essentially that people got the first dose. And then we know right there is when the majority of the problem is happening. Right. The 80 percent of the deaths, hospitalizations that happened in that first time period happened with that first 21 days. Right. So the point is that, that a lot of people had a really messed up problem there where they, you know, they have they were in bed for three weeks. They're like, well, I'm not going to mess with a second shot. And then they had. So the pro I guess the argument is the people that had the worst response. Stopped. But that worst response argues that they were having the worst reaction from it. And therefore, they went on to have the worst reactions. I mean, that's just kind of how I'm reading into it, because there's a lot of ways you can interpret the data. But no matter how you look at it, you're worse if you've got vaccines in your body. That's clear. But it could be that it is. His point was it, it's hard to make sense of why one shot would be worse than more. Right. But that's why that makes sense to me, because the people that stopped stopped because they were struggling so, so viciously. They didn't want to get the next one, even though they went along with the first shot. But that carried on. And it was so bad. That indicates it was only going to get worse. I, I mean, I'm, I'm reading into it myself, but. You tell me 145%. That's so he mentioned the 600,000 excess death. That's what WHO is trying to conflate that with COVID as if we just missed it all. It's really disgusting. Now, this is another review, another powerful review, British Medical Journal. Now, yes, it's on the preprint, but as I keep pointing out, the ones they never want to peer review just seem to linger in preprint land forever sometimes. But this is the title. This came out December 7th. Serious harms of COVID-19 vaccines, a systemic review, right? So it gets even more, it's getting easier and easier to do this. The method of systematic review of papers with data on serious adverse events, including from all the same people we're talking about, the CDC, blah, blah, blah. It says we included 18 systematic reviews, 14 random controlled trials, and 34 other studies with a control group. And this is not some small hot flash in a pan study like the CDC loves to do. This is 18 systematic reviews of larger entity reviews. Then they've got 14 round controlled trials and then 34 other studies with a control group. They looked at all of this. It found significantly more serious adverse events. So death, hospitalization, permanent disability of special interest with the vaccines than the placebo. How in the world do you even explain that? 
unless by, when you look at the big picture, it's obvious the vaccines are hurting more people. And the excess risk was considerably larger than the benefit measured as the risk of hospitalization. Well, there you go. Same point. Is it safe and effective? Do the benefits outweigh the risks? Clearly not. But as long as they look back at what was stated by the CDC in 2020 and act like that's the only thing we have to care about, then you don't care about the science as you scream, trust the science. The mRNA-based vaccines increase the risk of myocarditis with a mortality of about one to two per 200 cases. Right. So as they scream one in a million at the CDC, and even now some of these corporate media outlets are saying one in 10,000, like they've finally come along. No, the data is undeniably clear from the most recent study that it was the one 3,500 with Moderna. But what they're telling you with this newest data based on the overall picture they're talking about mRNA-based myocarditis risk with a mortality of one to two in every 200 cases. So that means that one out of every one to two of every 200 myocarditis cases are dying. That's not a small thing. Then you realize we're talking about a gigantic number of problems, even if you listen to their one in 10,000 number, which I think is way too high. It's much more, or I guess low. It's much more than that. We also found evidence that says of serious neurological harms. Like, think to the baffling brain illness. Think Celine Dion and her brain problem. Like, there's a lot of this happening. And we can't prove that. But it's a very likely possibility based on what we're seeing. They'll never admit that. Evidence of serious neurological harms, including Bell's palsy, Guillain-Barre syndrome, like always, uh, uh, myasthenic disorder, and stroke, which are likely due to an autoimmune reaction, as has been suggested also for the HPV vaccines. Severe harms, i.e. those that prevent daily activities, were hugely underreported in these randomized trials. These harms were very common in studies of booster doses after full vaccination and in a study of vaccination of previously infected people. You know why you know that? Because we've already reported on that. The corporate media won't point at that. The most recent study about the bivalence showed you that it was almost double the risk of adverse events. Wildly increased hospital visits and the medications needed. Nobody cares. I'll show you the big one next about the net harm. I just want to include that today. Under discussion, it says serious and severe harms of COVID-19 vaccines have been ignored or downplayed and sometimes been deliberately excluded by the study sponsors in high-impact medical journals. This area needs further study. Authorities have recommended virtually everyone get vaccinated and receive booster doses. They fail to consider that the balance between benefits and harms becomes negative in low-risk groups such as children and people who have already required natural immunity. But yet, what did we just hear? All these so-called experts and doctors and pediatricians saying, do it because the benefits outweigh the risks, right? Because it's safe for kids, because they need it, because they're in danger. It's not true. It's not just because this one study, but it's because of the 18 systematic reviews of other studies and the 14 random controlled trials, the 34 other studies, and then everything else we pointed at that continues to show you the same thing. Children don't need these things. They're not in danger, and they mostly have wired natural immunity. Most of the population has, and yet they still force this on everybody. The reason they say that is because they already know that does continue to pass along, because that's what the science shows. But that's why this will never be peer-reviewed, I argue. Never. Because they, do, they say, say the things that they are not allowed to say. Now, this is the British Medical Journal. Now, again, British Medical Journal continues to seem to be the groups that are standing up for things, including Brooke Jackson. Now, this was very clear. This was a gigantic study, specifically a a risk-benefit assessment. You know, benefits outweigh the risks assessment. 
about specifically the mandate policies around specifically the booster shot, the bivalent. To prevent one COVID hospitalization over a six-month period, they estimate you need 31,207 to 42,836 young adults aged 18 to 29 to receive the third shot. So that's potentially 42,000 cases of myocarditis. Or take their numbers. You can just say, what's the math there? One in 4,000, 5,000. So, you know, 20, maybe a little bit less. Let's just say 20,000 kids potentially with myocarditis. 20,000. Okay, then you know that that's a gigantic increase for their mortality, as even the studies just found. What did they say? This one was even higher than what I was thinking. It said one in two cases, one to two out of every 200 cases is going to die. Okay, so if we know that we're we're creating a situation where you're going to guarantee almost at least 10,000 plus cases of myocarditis, seeing as how that's their number, that means that one of every 200 of those is going to die. And that's all, that's all to prevent one hospitalization not even just death but just hospitalization one of them how does that possibly sound like benefits outweigh the risks booster mandates in young adults are expected to cause a net harm they're harmful across the board when all said and done it's a net harm per COVID 19 hospitalization prevented so the one hospitalization they anticipate at least 18.5 serious adverse events death hospitalization and disability from mRNA vaccines, including 1.5 to 4.6 booster-associated myopericarditis cases in males. And then it goes on to talk about lesser things, but it's, it's, it's crazy. This is peer-reviewed. Where's the corporate media? Don't they trust the science? Well, here's where they're talking about excess deaths. Now they're trying to circle back and say, here, it's still COVID. Even though we've been talking about baffling excess death we know is not COVID-related for six months, now they go, oh, but it was COVID, though. Now we're done, right? There were 15 million excess deaths worldwide in the first two years of the pandemic, they estimate. So who knows if that's even accurate. The total tally, the official tally of reported COVID-19 deaths is they claim a vast undercounting of COVID-19. How self-fulfilled, how easy is that? The COVID pandemic caused far more death and destruction than we realize. Here's what the study says. The WHO estimates of excess mortality estimates associated with COVID-19 pandemic. This came out today. The World Health Organization has a mandate to compile and disseminate statistics on mortality. And we have been tracking the progression of COVID-19 pandemic since the beginning of 2020. Here's an interesting thought before I go forward. They wrote this today. This came out, well, it says 44 minutes ago, but, you know, it came out this morning. Because I haven't refreshed it. Here, let's just do that. See what it says. Nine hours ago. Okay. This came out today. The study literally was posted the 14th, or rather, yeah, on on Nature. Okay. So realize they're very attuned to what's coming out of these platforms, right? So then ask yourself why they didn't cover a lot of these other ones then. Like, why would they ignore the ones that prove like any of these, like this one, right? Why did they talk about that? They didn't talk about this one. I haven't seen them point at this one. Clearly they're attuned to them. I guess it's because they go, oh, that says what I don't like. So I'm not going to trust that science. This one says what I like, so I'm going to trust that science. Selectively trusting science, apparently. So this will immediately report on it because it says what they want to frame it as. I just want you to make sure you see that. Here's what it says in the study. We estimate, we guess, that 14.83 million excess deaths globally, 2.74 times more deaths than the 5.42 million reported as due to COVID-19 for the period. 
let's not forget that that number itself was shown to be wildly overshot, where they said, oh, we're being very liberal with the numbers for your safety. And yet somehow by scooping in flu and pneumonia, false PCR tests and everything else that was somehow 2.7 times more than that, try to work that one out. There are wide variations in the excess death estimates across six World Health Organization regions. Yeah, there's a reason that this is not accurate. or That's a guess. Unfortunately, excess mortality cannot be directly estimated. We can't even directly guess at these numbers for all countries, owing to many not having requisite all-cause mortality data. So where, so then how in the world are you pretending like you know this is COVID? Because it's a self-serving narrative. I don't think I had anything else in there. My point is simple. It's quite obvious that this number was wildly overshot, and there's endless points that you could make about why you know it will be over. The undershot is just an assumption because, well, we know COVID's bad, so it's probably that. Well, at best, you're guessing. That's why it says estimate. But what we know is that there's a thousand other things happening that could be possible. Look, I'm not going to say could be, that are for sure part of the death, excess death. But I'll be honest and say I don't know if it could, it's what percentage. But we do know for sure there's myocarditis happening. They're admitting that, right? We do know for sure that there have been people that have been dying from this. They just don't really like to talk about it. So, so, so it's at least a percentage. That's clear. So when they just dump 2.75 times more death on top of something they've already admitted was bloated with other things they know wasn't COVID for your safety, you know, like the guy who died in a motorcycle, motorcycle accident that they said was COVID just to be safe, to be sure. That was a real case. The point is that there's no way that we can just dump 2.75 more times on top of that. When we know that there are other things happening, the bottom line is this is quite obviously including the vaccine side effects, including everything else that's happening. And like the myocarditis things, the dysregulation of your immune system. I mean, everything we're talking about. So it's easy just to dump it on COVID, move forward. Right. You know why? Because they're happy to jump to the next topics, which is cancer mRNA vaccines, right? Personalized gene therapy, cancer vaccines. If you want to call it a vaccine. Apparently, it's a home run, they said. Well, guess what? It's early. It's first trial. And what we're going to see, I argue, is the same thing we've already seen. And let's, not, let's also not forget that the, vac- the cancer explosion is in part, I think, largely, if not entirely, due to the injections as well. Not my opinion. Due to peer-reviewed science that showed you it causes an increase in exactly what causes cancer to explode. But I'm, I'm honest enough to point out that it, could, it, it might not be all of it. Maybe not even half, but some for sure. And yet all we're doing is jumping to the next part. This hasn't even been confirmed. They're standing on mRNA technology, the same kind of platform, pump out genetic code, give you a personalized version of what you want. And you know why this is going forward? Because they're acting like the COVID-19 injection was such a success. You'll see commercials on TV right now talking about how COVID-19 saved the world. If we don't stand up and make sure this is clear, we will lose control of this again. Here is what uh, uh, Jessica Rose points out, in case you didn't know. Moderna had a party for themselves to praise themselves all glorified and powerful and to tell the world how most excellent they think they are. They made a 106-slide PowerPoint presentation. On pages 6 and 7 of this presentation, they list all the crap they have in store for humans, either ongoing or to be announced in the near future, and it is alarming. God only knows what Pfizer's doing in their secret back room. They don't show you. Because Moderna... Seems to be more transparent, if you know, not the right word. But Pfizer is just known for, I mean, who God only 
knows what Pfizer's involved in. Seeing as how they've continued to be caught for lying, selling products that don't work, lying about what they can do. You know, $10 billion in fines have been paid for crimes. Nobody cares about that today, though. It shocks me, as she says, that they have integrated this mRNA technology that has yet to be proven. I agree with that. Yet to be proven safe in humans. But they're doing it in an HIV product, which we've already told you. The reason, after 30 years of trying, that we do not have a vaccine against HIV is because it's pretty much an unachievable goal due to the nature of the virus. Or, for those that might think this as well, maybe the fact that it's not actually there. This is another farce, in my opinion, she says. It's only in phase one trials. But pay close attention, people. This will not go well, and they will sell it as though it has gone well. Just like they do every other time. Guaranteed. These are not people who care about human well-being. These are corporate entities that exist to profit. Period. This also has Fauci's name all over it, by the way. So watch as her prediction comes to pass. Here's something else that's concerning, which we've already shown you, but it's being re kind of, it's being, oh, I think Science Direct reposted this and was talking about it again as of a couple of weeks ago. So just to reiterate, we've already covered this, but just realize this is where they're already talking about this all the way back in September of last year. The future of vaccines may look more like eating a salad than getting a shot in the arm. UC Riverside scientists are studying whether they can turn edible plants like lettuce into mRNA vaccine factories. That sounds great, right? It also kind of reminds me of that clip we opened with where they're talking about turning your body into a drug factory, which is seemingly the goal from every which angle they're playing this, is to make everything into something they can use. Wall Street and biotechnology companies have been very excited about this idea. And what essentially it is, is trying to hack the cells in the body in order to make them into drug factories. Right. And so now they're just trying to do it everywhere. And this is not new, guys, by any stretch of the imagination. I wrote about cannabis being genetically modified back in... Now, I forget if I reposted this after it, but it looks like 2015. I've referenced this many times. I mean, I don't even know if... I haven't even updated this for a long time. So for I don't know if the links are still valid. But the point was, at the time, Prairie Plant Systems, Inc., which I think is no longer a company, won the contract at the time to mass-produce medical marijuana in Canada. And the company itself... Their entire focus was genetic modification of plants to create plants that could give that could be used to produce pharmaceutical drugs. And yet they were making GMO medical marijuana back in 2015. Who already who God only knows what that was involved with and what they did with that or what's still happening. The point is, guys, the 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 agenda to make plants into vehicles for pharmaceutical delivery has been focused on for a really long time. Maybe it's already happening. And the idea when we get into the idea of like the cross pollinization and and what this could do, like the idea these things could somehow translate to other plants. Next thing you know, you don't even know what's in your food and it could be giving you antidepressants. It could already be happening. That maybe sound like conspiracy theory to some people. How long until people start realizing that that doesn't mean what they think it means? But to finish the part of the Great Reset direction, I think that was it. Let me see. Uh-oh. Did I freeze up on you? No? Okay, good. Making sure. Okay. So we're almost done here. Last parts. Just really trying to encapsulate where the Great Reset is how it comes together with what we just talked about, right? So this is something on Science Alert from December 7th. Ancient pathogen is eminent threat in every part of the world, WHO warns. 
So reading this, you think, wow, what that? What is that? They released something in the ice caps or the melter? You know, what? Some, oh, you, no, we're talking about the measles. Measles. Why would you frame it like that? You're trying to scare people. One consequence of a pandemic was reduced. One con- consequence of the pandemic was reduced access to routine health and lower uptake of immunizations. As a result, in November 2022, the World Health Organization declared measles to be an imminent threat in every region of the world. Seriously. <laughs> so, oh, and of course, of course, don't don't miss the crux. Oh, the misinformation is the problem. Oh, why? Right, because you know MMR vaccines cause autism because they do. And there's obvious, provable connection there, but fake news, though. The point here, guys, is this is about measles. So they're just hyping up things that have been around. And by the way, didn't they eradicate that, so we're told? So why then do people not getting their shots over a six-month period cause it to explode, which is what they're arguing? You can't eradicate something and have it explode back into reality when you don't get a shot in six weeks or months. That's, that's, that's not how this is supposed to work. That's actually not how it works. Immunity does not work this way. This is their new vaccine-derived immunity illusion. Just in case we want to connect this somehow, not to say this proves anything, but it's interesting to see how there's always this overlap. When you, when you see something like this happen, I will bet anything you'll find some kind of overlap with what they've been working on. Now, you could argue it's because they know what's coming or because they're educated and their best guess always seems to be what happens next. Yeah, I don't buy that, but March 30th, 2021, measles vaccine just was just so happened to be used for an experimental COVID vaccine trial. March 2021. And almost exactly right there, you can watch this discussion of measles and how it's spreading. And it's because of the lockdowns. And very interesting, isn't it? Scientists developed a SARS-CoV-2 vaccine by adding a key coronavirus gene to the measles vaccine. Hmm. The vaccine uses a live but weakened strain of the measles virus. Isn't that how that happens? Because of that vaccine's proven track record, researchers used it to develop an experimental vaccine against SARS-CoV-2, a series of measles-based vaccine candidates. They, I guess they worked on it at Ohio State. They delivered, developed the vaccines by inserting genes for different forms of the coronavirus spike protein, because you know how that works, into the measles vaccine genome. Playing God, manipulating things they don't understand, it would seem. SARS-CoV-2 uses the spike protein to enter and infect cells. I shouldn't say they don't understand necessarily, but things that they clearly are willing to risk taking, you know, doing a kind of experimentation that like could, I mean, you could easily call something like this gain of function. Yeah, you could argue it's for a vaccine, but what you're ultimately potentially doing, even by accident, is creating something that's more dangerous. That's also, that's ultimately what it seems Fauci's trying to pretend now that it was an accident that we made it more dangerous. The modified measles virus acts as a vehicle to carry the gene for the spike protein into the body. You know, the spike protein, the thing that's hurting people. The study was founded by the NIH, specifically the NIH. Okay, so when you're working on an experimental COVID vaccine, which, by the way, I believe was named R, you know, MEV press, whatever that is. Now, the point is you're putting this out into the population. You're testing people with this. Whether or not that could then end up being something that causes a new strain of something. I mean, why we're not allowed to ask this question tells you everything. That's just one example. There's plenty of overlaps to be seen with measles specifically, or the fact that there was a measles push during all of this, and whether or not the injection itself causes problems. No, you're not allowed to ask those questions because that's fake news. Yeah, what isn't fake news that seems to be possible today? Well, here's another interesting overlap. Experts warn of the World Cup camel flu. Uh Uh-oh, another new thing. Oh, no. Except it's not a new thing. But you wouldn't know that if you didn't read all the way to the bottom of the article, though. 
kills up to a third of everybody that strikes. Advised to watch out for signs of camel flu. And weirdly, and this is right at the beginning, but it does not make clear that that's the same thing. Watch what it says. Football fans returning from Qatar are advised to watch out for signs of camel flu, a potentially lethal respiratory illness. That's it. Caught with vomiting, coughing. Okay. Then in a new sentence, it says, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, MERS, can be contracted through close contact with camels. Okay, one would be forgiven for not connecting that. That's intentional, guys. Okay, all you're basically saying is MERS can be caught with camels too. Okay, let's get back to camel flu. That's how I, that's my opinion, but I, I would bet my life that that's how they wanted this to read because they don't want you to think, oh, just the thing we already dealt with, it already has vaccines and then we pretend it's already dealt with. We go all the way to the bottom and it says down here, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus, also known as camel flu. Why would you do that? Why would you make this entire article and not be like, not camel flu, it's MERS? You know, the other thing that's very suspicious and Dr. Boyle argues is also a vaccine-derived problem. Like all the, the MERS, SARS, all these things are overlapping in the same illusion, guys. The bottom line, though, is this is something that is not new and by no means is something that they would argue we should be all worked up about. But yet here they are presenting it as a brand new thing. Be afraid. You know why? Because as Fauci just said to the New England Journal of Medicine, it ain't over till it's over, but it's never over. Yeah, listen when they tell you what they're talking about, guys. Now, what they want you to pretend he means is just that, you know, pandemics are always possible. That's not what he's saying, though. The reality of this is this never goes away. This is your new normal. Emerging, re-emerging diseases, vaccines, vaccination, re-emerging vaccination over and over and over. That's what they're telling you. COVID vaccines for the rest of your life is what they're now telling you. Once every year. Oh, actually two months. Sorry, men every two months. That's right now. Remember when that was fake news? Remember when we were censored for suggesting that was even possible? I do too. Well, here's UNICEF putting out a clip of the prediction. Telling you that the future is exactly like right now. Except all they have is, you know, more ongoing coronavirus cycles and more vaccination. But here's a bunch of kids telling you how the vaccination saved everyone's lives. Because at this point in the future... Apparently, the, the agenda won out and they were able to rewrite history the way that they wanted it to be read, which is always how this goes. It's always written by the winning hand. I'm hoping we just don't lose in this case. If they essentially enshrine their narrative as the future or as the reality 20, 30 years from now, that this is exactly what it will look like. This is why we need to keep fighting. In 2020... Scientists developed life-saving COVID-19 vaccines in record-breaking time. For those in the podcast, it basically says, uh, what did it say? Europe 2025. Like, so this is like supposed to be her speaking from 2025. Scientists developed life-saving COVID-19 vaccines in record-breaking time. <laughs> it was miraculous. It was miraculous. It saved the lives of my parents and grandparents. In just a few months, nearly everybody in my country got the vaccine. This is what it looks like to try to preemptively set the narrative, right? Like this is the reality. This is this is completely disconnected from the truth. Completely. You guys know this. I lost my mother right at the start of the pandemic. So many doctors and nurses got sick. School closed down. But then came the vaccine. You said life would return to normal. You restored our hope. 
And you promised you wouldn't stop there. You said you'd help other countries. You promised to share vaccines with the whole world. This is propaganda, right? Like, it doesn't matter what your opinion is about this. This is not like, here, this is the why these are working. Here's what they do. Here's why we're fighting for you. Here's what you can do to help. That's what they're supposed to be doing. This is a straight up produced and propagandized narrative. They're trying to convince you to think a certain way. That's not what UNICEF is supposed to be doing, guys. To make sure it ended everywhere for everyone. But it took too long. You brought up supplies and held them back. Just, just in, in case. case. You let people in other countries suffer. Doctors and nurses kept getting sick. Get it? You get it? So quickly, quickly, vaccinate everybody quickly everywhere. And if you don't think so, you're crazy and you're dangerous. Teachers died. You let the virus carry on, going round and round and round. It changed into even more dangerous variants. The point is that these things never go away. Isn't that the reality? Like, at what point did they eradicate flu? Or, right, the point, like, to argue that it, unless it goes completely away, that we lose is completely unrealistic. And that's what plenty of experts have been saying from the beginning. That's not how this works. But they clearly set this up to be an unattainable goal, you know, like the war on terror. Then it all came back again and again and again. Schools closed again. Life kept getting... Why would schools close again? Like, it's so ridiculous. We're at a point where we're all acknowledging that was like one of the most catastrophically bad choices in the history of any kind of government action in regarding, well, I guess maybe just a pandemic, or maybe in general. Who knows how that's going to pan out for children? It's pretty incredible. And yet here we are. Oh, we did it again. Yeah, because we know that's what they're telling you what's coming. They will have lockdowns again. They'll have climate lockdowns. They will have all of this, despite how we have all acknowledged it was a bad choice. I argue, and I think you know, it wasn't a bad choice. It was a willful deception. Turned upside down for all of us. Things could have worked out so, so differently. differently. You knew that no one is safe until everyone wow. is safe. My God, that is such dangerous rhetoric. I mean, these are the people creating extremists. No one will always, everyone will always be. That's not possible. So the point is unattainable. Until nobody anywhere has COVID, we're all going to be on lockdown we'll all, or potentially be restricted based on rising temperatures and based on pre-crime, medical pre-crime analogies. And everything. this is what's happening. They're setting up the new normal panopticon of how they can control your life around the allegation of illness, which drives you directly into the transhumanist choice that you'll take happily to step outside of that control structure. Not that you should. I'm just pointing up people will. Gross. Just absolutely sickening. So Bernie's tweets points out, remember when the G20 agreed an international digital health passport? Congratulations, you're the first. The Digital Transformation Branch of Health Canada has now issued a tender for a Canadian health passport including proof of vaccination. You know, the fake story that we all got censored for, for domestic and international use, right? So there you go. We have a vaccine credential, which was always part of the plan, which is the first step. EU Council, you're a common European digital identity wallet. Just about COVID? No, just in general, that we built during COVID. Was it about COVID? Well, it could have been. It's about whatever we want it to be about. 
because it was always the plan. A common European digital identity wallet, your ID, driver's license, payment card, essential medical information, which perfectly works simultaneously with Twitter. How fantastic. There you go. There's your digital ID. Here's Eva pointing out the majority of the Dutch parliament has ordered the government by means of a motion to not support the European digital identity project that we just pointed out. You know what she did anyway? Went to Brussels and voted in favor of the digital ID anyway. Right, because that's how democracy works, right? The majority of the parliament passed a motion that she shouldn't do that. Did it anyway. Because they, she doesn't obviously answer to them or the people. There's something bigger going on, obviously. Here she is happily tweeting her stupid little video about it as if she didn't just kill democracy, as if it was really there, and she didn't sign away our freedom. These people don't give an S about anything but their own power. This woman scares me just by the way she looks. It doesn't matter. The point is, guys, that they are obviously rushing this forward as if they know better. Australia, points don't always mean prizes. Digital ID will be used to track your financial affairs, including the purchase of Bitcoin. If the, it, it didn't set you free, it didn't keep you safe, it tied you to the whims of governments forever, the digital ID is what we're talking about. Now, the point here is everyone's really trying to overlap like bit like and of course, the really uneducated, clumsy, like Maxine Waters of the world will try to connect Bitcoin with what's happening with the FTA. They don't know what they're talking about. Now, I'm skeptical of all of this stuff, but what we need to be very careful that we don't, you know, throw out the baby with the bathwater here and realize that some of these things can be used. I argue likely probably not Bitcoin, but some of these things can be used to circumvent the control structure they're building. I argue the most important thing they need to do right now is kick everybody as much as they can off of cryptocurrency in general to justify the new CBDC direction that they then force you into with some kind of collapse. The point is if there's some other alternative network of cryptocurrency out there, which I don't think will ever go away entirely, but that will be a way around it essentially. Because if you have that, you then arguably, especially if we're all digital currency now, there's no more fiat. Then, then you don't need to change that into fiat. That becomes valid. They don't want that. They want you to only be able to use their CBDCs. And they're blatant about that. So here, you now have a point system. 100 points of identification. Australian citizens can only access Bitcoin if they have enough social credits. Are we really... Are we really a surprise is happening? It's exactly what we saw coming and exactly what we told you guys was going to happen. You guys know this. You've been following along. You've seen it yourselves. It's not just about Bitcoin here. It's about anything. You fall below your social credit scores based on what the government says you're supposed to do, and you can't do the next thing they say you can't do. Australia. Social credit introduced to access the internet via your digital ID. Citizens need 100 points of identification, as you just saw, to use social media. The police will have access to your accounts, including private messaging. Good, goodbye, freedom. Hello, tyranny. A radical plan to crack down on social media abuse is being considered by the federal government. For more, Nine's Oliver Haig joins us live in Adelaide. Ollie, how will it work? Lila, good morning. Essentially, it will work the same as a passport. Australians forced to submit 100 points of identification, like their driver's licence or passport, when using social media accounts like Facebook and Twitter. Now, police would have access to those social media accounts, and it's all part of a crackdown on online abuse. Now, users could be liable for defamation suits or even criminal prosecution, and it's all part of a plan hoping to deter people from engaging in bad behaviour. Now, the recommendation 
recommendations were handed down by a federal parliamentary inquiry. They're reforms that are being considered by the Morrison government, with the chairman saying there is merit to remove, to remove uh, the veil of being anonymous. Layla? Wow. I mean, I mean, depressingly enough, even even Jordan Peterson came out and aggressively attacked the very concept of anonymity online. It's just so sad to see how people can't recognize how important this is to where this is going. And that's what they're trying to do away with. Right. And if you don't do what you're told, if you go to the wrong protest or say the wrong thing online, you'll lose social credit points, which will then eventually, if enough, remove you from social media entirely. That's I mean, that's right where this is going. And if you don't think that Twitter is going to be overlapped with these same processes, you're not paying attention. Here, smart cities, right? This is continue, This is the evolution of this, right? Where digital ID, social credit, CBDCs, to the point to where this is all necessary for the smart city to operate, where authorities identify you, track every movement, purchase, and contact you make. It doesn't bother you, though, because you don't do anything wrong. It's kind of making a point. She said that depends on whether your government has the same viewpoint as you. It's a fair point. Right. That people like say, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm nothing to worry about. It really depends, doesn't it? Tomorrow, something you don't think is a problem could suddenly become that because of a shift of government perspective. Month or so. How about this one? People counting. You want to take a deep dive into your dystopian future under the digital surveillance state. It's right here. This little board here tells you how many times uh, people have come through the park. Essentially, it tells you how many unconnected Wi-Fi devices there are in. So that would be everyone's phone. This is telling you how many people are in the park at the moment. So once again, imagine a, a lockdown scenario, another emergency, another COVID outbreak or monkeypox or, you know, whatever you like, you name it, we'll make it up. Six devices in this park at the moment, that's down 50% for normal. Your local government, your state government, your federal government might want it to be none. And this, this will tell you, these sensors... Wow up in this light, the Wi-Fi connections, they're all interlocked. There will be facial recognition cameras in there. This is so, right now. you know, don't think you're just going to leave your phone at home. The cameras will pick you up in future. All seems very innocuous, but the reality here is what we are seeing is the very real and very, very, in my view, concerning future for how we go. These areas are all going to be geofenced, uh, and there's going to be more data about you out there and what you do per day and I hear people saying, I've got no problem with any of this. I don't do anything wrong. Well, that all depends on whether or not your government has the same viewpoint as you. Uh, and we've seen this played out in the last 18 months through the COVID period. I've got to tell you, I don't like this at all. Looks pretty innocuous. But to me, there's a bigger, badder future that comes with it. Make sure you're thinking about this. Make sure you're talking to your friends about it. And make sure you're telling your politicians that you don't want a social credit style system like currently rolling out. Uh, over in China with the CCP. We don't want to go anywhere near this. I have a bad feeling this is where we're headed. My God. Now that's Senator uh, Antic pointing this stuff out. We're not from Australia, right? I mean, it's it's just, I don't know how anybody can pretend this isn't the most alarming thing in history. I mean, this really is concerning. I mean, even if you think it could be used for positive things, like how do you not see the potential for authoritarian control? And historically, that's always where this goes when left when power will collect at the top. Now, Wall Street Silver points out Nigeria has reduced the amount of cash individuals and businesses can withdraw at, as it attempts to push its cashless Nigeria policy and increase the use of its Inaria, right? One of the earliest countries to come out already with its central bank digital currency. This is how they will do it. They will limit access to alternatives, guys. It's already happening. They ban ATM cash withdrawals over $225 of your money. 
and force the use of the CBDCs. I mean, it's it, this is a one, two, three step process. It's very clear. The point is now this is how will force you into this, but you'll have to have the digital ID to use it, right? The digital ID enter, enters into the social credit system, which can then be tracked. And you're, it's, it's, you're done. It's, it's, what's the right word? In, I don't want to say insurmountable. Like there's obviously everything we should be doing right now, we should be doing to push back against this system to stop this from happening. But if we end up in this position, I mean, you tell me what the word is. How do you work your way back out of that? Eva, uh, I always forget how to pronounce her last name. Uh, from from the, from, uh, she's the Dutch reporter in regard to the farming issue. With I mean, it's really doing a great job covering this. By the way, it was on Fox News talking with Tucker. Our government is now openly admitting that food will become significantly more expensive as a result of the transition of agriculture. Oh wait, I thought it was Putin's fault. Wasn't it Putin's gas hike? Didn't Nancy Pelosi mumble that out a few times? Apparently, not, apparently they were lying. <gasps> Shocking, right? So now it's a transition. Why, 2030? Correct, as they'll tell you. Nitrogen, carbon, right? The, tra- the 2030 sustainable goals. Okay, well then why did everybody scream it was all Putin's fault? At the ga- this is because they lied to you and because people are willing to absorb the narrative they don't want to challenge their political beliefs. Stating that they see no objection to the transition of agriculture and the wildly more expensive food for people that are making less than ever. People that have less jobs and less time. I mean, everything about this is the, the collapse of your system. When, when will people realize it's all intentional? They want us to be poor and hungry. I agree with that. It's, a, it's an agenda playing out. Now, even if you don't agree with the last part, obviously they're telling you this is on purpose. How do you not? I mean, I mean uh, Klaus Schwab numerous times has been on the record saying that this, even if you believe, who knows if he believes it, that it'll be positive in the end, but there'll be a, there'll be a negative drop in jobs to begin with. This is going to be more, this is going to be hard for you. Everyone out there listening, this, no matter how positive you think this looks, this is going to destroy your life before it gets better. You wouldn't want this if you, I mean, people out there who know what's happening don't want this. If you don't, if you can't see where this is driving to, even if you like the end result, assuming that's where it goes, if you truly knew where this was about to go, if we let them do this, you would not want this to happen. That's my opinion. But the idea of this top-down control system is, I don't know what's suffocating feel claustrophobic the hill writes the smart meter monitoring can help conserve water but not without a fight i mean this has been everywhere you've seen this the bottom line being though we could just turn off your water because you're using too much or we can notify you your temperature's too high so we'll turn it down or just turn it off entirely that's already happening guys we've already seen examples of these smart meters turning off people's electricity water just because they've decided to I, this is this is a small example of everything else we're seeing. It's everywhere. And to do this quickly, since we're very long today, this is mind blowing. Now I looked this up this 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 platform, and the best of my I looked across everywhere. Almost everything else I've seen seems to be a completely normal article. Just to show you the the uh, actual homepage. Eight surprising things that will make your teeth less white. I mean, that looks like a, that, that, you know, I, actually, what is that from? I forget that picture. Can you change from night owl to morning person? Doop, doop. I mean, you know, these looks quirky and weird, but if you read these, there's nothing like satire about this. The fascinating story of the sleeper sofa, right? Okay. So, I mean, I, I could be wrong because who God only knows today. And that's kind of the point as usual is that satire 
has become so like, or rather the reality of these people and the way they view the world has become so ridiculous that the satire is almost, it's just like predicting the future at this point. But this, I'm hoping this is fake. But my point is, you look at the, the platform, there's nothing down here that says this is satire. But my God, if this isn't satire, this is very concerning. And this is the point I mentioned earlier. Anti-chippers are the latest group of awful people who now have to worry about, or we now have to worry about. Now, if you search this title, even this image, you will get a post that seems that this was posted on 2020. So it appears this actually first came out in 2020. However, there are references in this article that make it clear that there was stuff added at the very least, or this was reposted that comes from like 2021. I don't know. Either way, the point is that I don't know. I, I, I feel like I can't confirm this is real just because of how absurd this is written. But I can't find examples of why this would be fake anywhere you look on this thing. So you tell me. But again, to repent it for the fourth time, the point is ultimately that it's so ridiculous out there that I don't know. Here's what it says. They're paranoid, don't believe in science. Many have white supremacist tendencies. And most importantly, they want you to know that microchip implants are super duper scary. They're anti-chippers, and they've got literally dozens more brain cells than your average anti-vaxxer. So what's their deal? The coronavirus pandemic has the world's most brilliant minds scrambling to find treatments, vaccines, and ways to improve public health going forward. One such savior is Bill Gates. Now, this is the one thing that stood out to me as like why they would say it this way. The child-loving philanthropist who founded Microsoft. Like, okay, were they trying to make a, a jab about something gross, or is that just being genuine? I mean, I'm really blown away by how I can't tell. His, pers- his, per- his proposal is to put a teeny tiny piece of silicone under everyone's skin to Im- improve people's lives by reducing healthcare costs and keeping track of anyone deemed unhealthy by medical professionals. Now, this is we've discussed all types of these things. Now, this is not to suggest that it's in the vaccine, even though that's certainly a possible thing to consider. Right? This is based on something that is being discussed. So it's it's so far very really could be real. Now, what? could possibly be bad about health professionals and doctors keeping Americans safe and healthy. (laughs) The anti-Semitic origin of anti-chippers. When you closely examine the undercurrent of the anti-chipper movement, one thing becomes increasingly clearer. Anti-Semitism is to blame. Like, guys, these are actual arguments being made in other ways right now that are just as ridiculous. Of course, not all anti-chippers are anti-Semites, but it doesn't change the fact that they're engaging in a conspiracy theory primarily propagated by anti-Semites and fueled and fueled fear over what the elites or the globalists would do to you, which is encoded, which is coded anti-Semitic language according to the ADL. Right? I mean, that is actually what people are arguing. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's absurdly stupid and subjective. Mike, microchip implants are inevitable, and that's a good thing. Whether you like it or not, you will get the microchip implants. And if you don't, we'll convince your children to get the microchip implants. And if that gives you any sort of feeling besides joy, then you're probably an anti-semi-conspiracy theorist because there's nothing nefarious about microchip implants. Microchip implants will become a normal part of life and will be nothing but a pet, a net positive for humanity. So Doom is saying it's a satire site, which again, certainly possible. I, tell me how you were able to figure that out because I don't see anything in here, or if I missed it, that says satire. I looked in the About Us page, but I was able to find none of it. Critters Hurt, Infrastructure Operation, Popular Stories. Right? I mean, aren't they required to write that if it is satire? I mean, not that that would matter. But in the chat, tell me right now, I'll wait to see it, what you found that makes you think that. Because I I really did try to find this, because I was so interested by how ridiculous this was. Anyway, you get the point. It, It ends seemingly making a genuine claim 
<laughs> I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not missing how ridiculous this is. I mean, my first instinct was that this was satire, but I was blown away by the main point again that I'm not sure. And that just speaks to how crazy the ridiculous side of this is. Anyway. Last two points on this great reset finishing is that this is real. Eco, e ecto life concept unveiled for the world's first artificial womb facility. This is where we are going with this stuff, guys. In late 2021, Elon Musk tweeted his fears about the end of humanity. Quote, we should be much more worried about population collapse if there aren't enough people for Earth. Then there definitely won't be enough for Mars, he, op he opined. Musk's statements brought the world's uh, falling birth rate to the forefront of social consciousness. It's interesting. For nearly a century, fertility rates have been decreasing globally which is strange to think about. doesn't make sense with the narrative they're pushing. At the same time, if it is, it would suggest that they're doing that with things that they're at. You know, it's a lot of different things we can point out. The result is what scientists are describing as a worldwide infertility crisis. <laughs> Gee, what could be causing that? But there's a solution looming on the horizon. Artificial wombs. Yeah, this is some scary stuff, guys. You can read this for yourself. I just, I mean, I, I, we'll probably go through this more in the future with a more focused, probably nanotechnology direction where this connects. But here's just, I'll just play this first part of this video for you. I mean, guys, this freaks me the hell out. This is exactly, I mean, this is not 100 years from now. It's not 10 years from now. This is right now they're talking about this stuff. And this is where this is going. And this is why I think things like this don't seem that far-fetched, even if it is satire. So here's this, just this one part of the video. And there are four parts. I'll include this for you to watch for yourself. Introducing Ectolife, the world's first artificial womb facility, powered entirely by renewable energy. Ectolife allows infertile couple to conceive a baby and become the true biological parents of their own offspring. It's a perfect solution for women who had their uterus surgically removed due to cancer or other complications. Of course, they only frame it around people like just like with the Neuralink that, oh, you'll help people that are disability disabled and and sure that's probably part of it I, I my gut tells me that's the last thing they care about right this is about selling you on why you think it's necessary when all the real mechanisms are about military and defense and god knows what else i mean just think about my you know what my terrifying gut tells me in this reality that this has been happening long before we realized and that they're already being used i mean think about why would that be such a far-fetched concept the military, historically, almost always uses these things long before we even know they exist. Oh, Doom said he's just going off what somebody was saying in the links. Yeah, I'd like to find out. I'm very interested in that because that site, something tells me it's real. And that's how crazy it is today. But, I mean, it's easy to see that it could be satire because of how absurd it is. But this is where this stuff is going. With Ectolife, premature births and C-sections will be a thing of the past. Ectolife is designed to help countries that are suffering from severe population decline, including Japan, Bulgaria, South Korea, and many others. The facility features 75 highly equipped labs. Each state-of-the-art lab can accommodate up to 400 growth pods or artificial wombs. Every pod is... So what stops this from being black marketed and used and creating, you know, classes of serfs and slaves or whatever else we've seen? You know, that, that it's this is where this goes. You create two tiered society or more. You create a situation where the rich have the ability to increase anything they want with the children they have and the poor don't. 
And over the process of a very short period of time, you get very, you literally get different species. You get people that are genetically more improved and better and faster and stronger and, and live longer. That's where this goes. I just don't know why the average person who is so, you know, kind of jazzed up by the Elon Musk Muskization of all this to think that this is not concerning because of who is currently, I mean, just look around the world. Look at what the leaders are doing today. Look at what the, the democracy leaders and, and freedom fighter, whatever you want to call them, people out there claiming they're fighting for freedom and, and equality and safety. Look at what they're doing. Look at what they're doing to Yemen and different people around the world. And we're going to pretend like this is going to be a positive. Anyway, I just, it makes me really uncomfortable as I'm sure you can tell. And I'm going to leave you with a video today that wraps it all up. Another kind of compilation of Harari surveillance state of the world. It really does a good job of summing this up. And it's, it's, you know, it's concerning. Now I really don't want to end on a, you know, negative note necessarily. As always, I genuinely think that the reason this is getting so aggressive is because we've never been more aware that they're doing this to us. So we just got to capitalize on that. It's so incredibly important. Now, I, I was going to open today with a rousing call about supporting the last American back. I'm sure I'll do it in another show. Just didn't feel today. Wasn't feeling it. But nonetheless, the point is still the same. We're racking our brains today about how to continue this the way we need to do this, to grow this the way we need to grow it. And that goes for T-Lab and Pirate Stream, which is really, that's not even necessarily on the table until January when we put out our collective raising. But at the end of the day, guys, we really need your help today. You know, and I know that the people who are only going to see this at the end of a three-hour, 44-minute show are going to be those that are already here and supporting us. But at the end of the day, just help us get this out there. You know, we need, we need the kind of support that help us raise the bar for what we're doing because we're at the point, we get to a point where we're just treading water. Where I'm, you know I'm not going to stop doing this. Even if it comes down to where some, everything changes and I have to get a job and I'll just be doing this a couple days a week. I'm always going to do this because that's, that's in me. But we want to grow to a point to where we have more people, right? This is them talking right now, just specifically talking about Scott and I talking about this and how we can grow this into something where we have more staff and more teams working and more due diligence and more everything. More, you know, get a you know, real deal studio, whether that's for Pirate Stream and for T-Lab or, you know, all the, everything. So right now in general, I know that there are a lot of you out there that do everything. You know, the people that can barely afford what you're doing in your life, but yet you're taking the time to send us funds. And I just, it means the world to me. Every single thing you send out there, whether it's a letter or a, a, a vinyl album somebody just sent me, which I haven't even got a chance to look at. I just, somebody picked it up for me and I have to go look at it. I don't know, I forget who it came from. Like there's so many people out there sending amazing things just that mean the world to me. But out there right now, I'm sure that there are people listening that, that, you know, have the ability to do more. That's what we're looking for on top of everything else right now is people that can, you know, can kind of revolutionize what we're doing. So if you're out there right now and you're listening and you believe in what we're doing and believe that you can help us grow this in the next direction, reach out to me or any of you reach out to me at all times. Uh, by the way, on that note, Ryan at the last American vagabond.com is struggling right now for, because our server has issues. And so I'm having an issue with that email. So if you've been reaching out on that email and I haven't got back to you, in the past, that happens anyway, just because I get buried. But right now, it's especially problematic. So reach out to me in other means if you can. You know, DMs here and there. Wire. I don't know. But just reach out even through that last American Vagabond email. The point is, if you're out there and you and you see a way that you could support this platform and help us grow, and whether that's $1 a month or more than that, find a way to do it in a, in a, in a way that can help us revolutionize this platform, reach out to me. 
because we are motivated today, motivated to change the game. And I know you guys and everybody is just thirsty for that. I see it. I feel it. I know it's there and I know we're going to do this. So help us get there. I love you all. Thank you for being here. Staying tuned for the long shows. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.